the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson, and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Treasure of the Four Crowds, starring Tony Anthony, Jean Quintano, and Anna Obregon. Cut to J.T. Stryker battling birds. Cut to J.T. Stryker battling a pterodactyl with strings whoa cut to jt striker's head spinning around <laughs> cut to jt striker's hands shooting flame out of them whoa this oh 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 i'm i'm sorry uh, hey everybody sorry about that i it was still in the middle of breaking down the movie we're going to talk about tonight <laughs> welcome to podcasting after dark it's me uh sweet sexy z Joining with me as always, my beautiful, bodacious co-host, Corey Sleazy C. What's happening, dude? <laughs> Zach uh, prepped me on how he was going to start the episode, and uh, it turned out great, my friend. I oh, loved thanks. it. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I, I'm ready. I hope you're ready for an eye-popping, <laughs> head head-turning, head-spinning <laughs> pterodactyl on strings with lights in its eyes Uh, multiple baphomet eyeballs coming at you 30 (laughs) times over and um a man wearing white pants uh when he's you know spelunk well when he's looking for treasure yes as one does in all the wrong places (laughs) yes uh we are talking about 1983's treasure of the four crowns this evening um Boy, oh boy, I have a history with this film, but before we get any of that started, Corey, what's your history with Treasure of the Four Condors? And we're going to be bastardizing its name all night, by the way. That's intentional. I know. all you people going, well, you got the name wrong. No, it's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Go check out Wrap Up After Dark, where I accidentally called it Treasure of the Four Condors. Zach's like, it's crowns, you moron. It's <laughs> like, oh, whoops, yeah. And it's uh, cool, yeah, I like that. My experience um, with this movie, uh, I recognize the cover. I've seen the cover at, um, uh, you know, VHS back in the day, uh, never rented it. Um, I was never into the whole straight to VHS, low budget adventure movies that I, that this would sort of fall into. I kind of was always just like, well, if I'm going to watch something, I'll just rewatch Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I watched this, uh, twice, 
But I also watched it with the the glasses, the 3D glasses, the, the red and blue ones. Well, I watched as much as I could until it almost made me throw up. But I, <laughs> wow. I will say it works, and it's a fun little, you know, neat little thing that the Blu-ray actually includes. Uh, the Kino Blu-ray comes with the red and blue glasses, um, but it's also encoded to work on the high-end 3D TVs as well. So that's a, that's a neat little thing that they did with this movie. With this... This movie. Oh, <laughs> my God. This movie. <laughs> so that's the whole... So there was a lot of intention behind this film uh, being chosen this month. Case one in particular, uh, the new Indiana Jones movie is coming out the same month that this episode is being broken down and dropping. Um, so I thought, let's, you know, on pad, we don't do mainstream films pretty much and why don't we do a knockoff indiana jones movie in the spirit of well maybe the cgi effects will be half not as good as the what they are in treasure of the four condor uh crown uh, condoms um yes i saw this film when it came out in the theater holy shit i saw it with my mom and um i remember it having the third act of the film had such an impact on me that I forgot about the other two thirds of the film completely as I grew older, but I never forgot about the third act. But I forgot about the name of the movie. I forgot about the premise. Blah blah blah. So I, I but I do remember like vaguely the poster art. So as I got older, I would search video stores looking for this movie. I'm like, where's that movie? I feel like it's an Italian like knockoff of Indiana Jones. I was searching everywhere for it. Founded at uh, Cinephile, which is here in um, Santa Monica. And Cinephile Video is one of the f- last uh, legit video stores uh, in Santa- in Los Angeles. And uh, they had the VHS big box version of it. And I'm like, that's it. That's the film. And then the girl I was dating with at the time, she's like, let's rent it. Let's check it out because she was a big movie person too. And I remember watching it with her, and she's like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And I said, I know, isn't it great? (laughs) Um, And then... I told Myra that exact same thing. I go, Zach made me watch the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. And it was not Last American Virgin. Listen to Wrap Up After Dark this month. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, consider becoming one at patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. Um... Yeah, I I was waiting f- patiently, eagerly for a DVD release, which never came of this movie. And then Kino, out of nowhere, announced they were going to release a Blu-ray, and it also was going to be in 3D. And I thought, wow, kudos to Kino for putting out one of the most obscure, like bizarre, Mystery Science Theater 3000-esque type movies of all time, in my opinion, yeah. especially the 80s. Um, and and I thought, okay, what better time to bring this to pad than within the release of this Indiana Jones film, which, you know, it hasn't come out yet. Will we see it when it does come out? Of course we will. Um, will it be as good as this? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> I love this. I mean, I, I'm so glad to, to break this down with you because it's just silly. If you want a movie that's not to be taken seriously 100%, this is the movie to watch. Yeah, and yes, so going into this, it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But it's not... I don't disagree with you. 
but it's not without its charm and it's not without its fun. You know, so I had to do like I was doing some soul search and I was like, how are we going to tackle this? How am I going to tackle this? How are you going to tackle this? One of two ways. We do the riff track version, which that's not what we do here. Or nope. we do what we normally do, which is we find the love and we try to elevate the goodness that's in this movie. And there and is a lot, lot of it. There you know, a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun in this movie. Um, it's it's the most canon canon film we've ever uh, uh, done. Um, the whole thing was, I think, filmed in Spain um, and Madrid and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the and just some high level thoughts off the top of my head because I don't want to forget them while we're while we're talking about it. In, you know, the entire thing. But like this movie's interesting because it has like only like seven scenes total, right? Like so yeah. a couple scenes or maybe only like like real short. But there's a bunch of other scenes, like like four or five of them are like thirty minutes long. It's this, yes. it's it's interesting movie because the first twenty two minutes of it, there's no dialogue whatsoever. That was intentional. <laughs> so I texted Zach. I was like, I looked at the runtime for my first watch it uh, viewing of this, and I was like, oh, an hour and forty five minutes sucks to be Zach. And then the fr- I, there was no dialogue, and I paused it and checked when the first word was uttered. Twenty two minutes into it, and I was like. <laughs> Zach, you magnificent bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. But yeah, so we're not going to riff track this because that's not what we do. We like, we don't, we don't, you know, shit on movies. No, that's, that's low hanging fruit. That's easy. What we're going to do is find the love in this extremely unique, um, you know, extremely canon in every charming way possible, you know, movie. And I got to say, I'm happy. To have this Blu-ray in my collection for as you warts should and all. <laughs> I'm glad you are, and you should be. I highly recommend this movie for anyone who just wants something wacky, and it's like technically PG. Though I would not show this to kids because I think it would be terrifying. And it doesn't surprise me that my mom took me to the movie. What's rated PG? It should be fine. Well, it's still terrifying, mom. Yeah. Um, and it has some of the best dubbing ever, by the way. Uh, for like whoever does the voices of of these actors are great because they're so not what i would expect to to come out of the mouths of some of these guys some of them yeah no it's it's perfect like you said for a group of people to you know watch it with um it it is so bad that it's good you know some movies never they're so bad that they're bad they never quite make it over that hump this easily makes it over that hump in like the first 20 minutes and you're like oh yeah okay no i i see it now it's it's a fun movie to put on with some friends smoke some weed drink some beers you know and and just let it wash over you because it's a it's 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 a scene man it's a scene it it, it is certainly is so Let's get into the cast and crew and whatnot really quick. Uh, it was directed by Ferdinando Baldi, uh, who cl- clearly is uh, from uh, Italy. <laughs> uh, he's done movies like The Ultimate Mission, which is a Vietnam War movie, um, which I believe did that one. No, that, that had Frank Zagarino in it, who's kind of a mainstay for war films. Um a lot. Oh, Texas Adios, which is a great spaghetti western. Uh, it's it is a Django. Well, it stars Franco Nero, uh, who very much looks like Django from when he played Django. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I highly recommend that one if you're a fan of spaghetti westerns. A lot of Italian, uh, clearly. 
a lot of Italian uh, films, uh, you know, ran the genre of, uh, you know, thrillers like Giallo's to uh, to Western films as well. He did he did Django Prepare a Coffin, uh, which is also very good. Yeah, I didn't recognize like almost any of his filmography whatsoever. I would check out those two, though. I would check out Django, Prepare a Coffin, and um, Texas Adios if you like spaghetti westerns. Okay. Ultimate Mission is cheese ball, um, whatever. It, it's This film is written by uh, Lloyd Batista, who's <laughs> Lloyd the Batista. only one. <laughs> He's, it's written by Batista, yeah. by the way, <laughs> professional wrestler Batista. Yeah. It's first uh, name's Lloyd. Didn't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that? He uh, He's... He, has been in a lot of films and has written some films as well. Um, he's the only one that has an IMDb photo, uh, except for the lead actor and uh, star who gets a story credit along with his co-star, uh, Tony Anthony, who plays JT Stryker. We'll get to him in a second. And Gene Quintano, who plays Edmund. We'll get to him in a second as well. So it took me forever to figure out Mustache's name because uh, his IMDb yeah. picture doesn't have a picture of him. It's like a nope. scene, you know. And I was like, is is he Socrates? Nope, he's not. He's not Socrates. Nope. Is he, you know, I was like, which one is he? And I was like, oh, because at one point he calls him Ed. Um, Tony Anthony. It's like his name's Matt Matthew. <laughs> Dick Richards. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to. Say that. That's all I had yeah. really. To oh, that's say all you want to say. That. Okay, sure. Well, well, he's also the producer of this film. He's credited with like kind of being on the forefront of uh, 3D technology. Yeah, because apparently, um, coming at you, um, which he he produced as well, and he was in it as well. Uh, it did it did well. It did very well that they took this script, which was I think sitting around for a little while, and kind of fast tracked it with him. But um, yeah, that that coming at you was in 3D. So they they pushed to make this in 3D as well, and that was it's kind of now at this point, Tony Anthony's sort of legacy is him kind of pushing that early 80s 3D vision. Yeah, yeah, and if you're wondering what Tony Anthony looks like, picture Damone from Fast Times as a action hero. Personally, dude, I thought I blinked at first and and thought. He was uh, Darwin Jostin, Jostin um, who played Napoleon Wilson in Assault on Precinct 13. He's kind of wow. got that that mouse sort of uh, features in his face. And I, I don't say that disparagingly because I think both guys are good looking. But they kind of have that same sort of pointy nose sort of face to them. But, yeah, he was giving me Darwin Jostin uh, vibes. He wasn't giving you Darwin monkey vibes? <laughs> no, no, I'm friends. joking. I'm jo- but he—he's like, yeah, he looks like a guy that would be selling you a car versus jumping into a pit of, yes. uh, you know, wild animals. Yes, yes, uh, for sure. I mean, but who feeds those wild animals? We'll yeah. talk about that in a second. We'll talk about that too. <laughs> uh, Anna Obregon, she plays Liz. Oh, well, we uh, never did really talk about uh, Tony Anthony. Like, his, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Tony Anthony is JT Striker. Yes, um, a lot of producing credits. Uh, you know, he acted in, well, it looks like this was the last movie he acted in, uh, a few movies that he did in the seventies and sixties as well. Um, but you know, mostly Italian films. So, but, but he's credited I, as a producer on uh, wild orchid with, uh, yes. Mickey Rourke. Yes. And if you know anything about that movie, I'm sure, uh, our friend of the show, Aaron Gilmer knows a lot about wild orchid. Um, that film was known for 
not simulating a certain scene, but actually the actors really performing the certain scene. Yeah, people um, think that about the Holly Berry uh, scene in um, shit. What was the movie Monsters with Billy Ball? Bob? Yeah, people talk about that as possibly sort of having a Wild Orchid scenario uh, attached to it. But as a kid, man, growing up, Wild Orchid was always one of those movies that people talk about, like, oh, that was a real sex scene. It wasn't, you know, faked or whatever. I've actually never seen it. Um, is it as graphic as people say it is? It's pretty graphic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I've uh, never maybe, seen it. Maybe. Wink, wink. <laughs> hey, Zach, uh, no one can see you winking on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 another film that kind of continues on with the theme, uh, that being Bolero, uh, the, uh, Tony Anthony's co-star in this, Anna Obregon, who plays Liz, she was in Bolero. Okay. Uh, I saw Bolero, I believe I saw that when I was a child as well, and should not have seen that with Bo Derek. Ah. <laughs> Anyways, if you've never seen Bolero, apparently they're being that's being remade right now. Oh, okay. All right. Possibly. Uh, but Anna Obregon plays Liz. She's a acrobat. She does some amazing stunts. Amazing stunts. That's another thing to credit this film with is amazing stunts. So this was her doing all the acrobatic stuff in this movie. It seemed that way. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It didn't I mean they had camera on her face and everything and she's doing like trapeze shit and whatnot. Um I, you know, I'll I'll reiterate it when we get there, but that third act impressed the hell out of me and we'll we'll elaborate on it, but it's mostly because of Anna Obergon. Um now, I was getting Lucinda Dickey vibes from her and I know that Lucinda Dickey was like Cannon's it girl. Um, they wanted her to be sort of Cannon's breakout it yeah. girl and everything. And she looks very like Anna Obergon looks very similar to Lucinda Dickey. So I'm thinking the Cannon boys, the Go Go boys, have a have a a type as to what they want to see, like what kind of woman they want to have as, as their breakout star. Yeah, totally. I could, they could be in the. Yeah, but we need, we need a dark-haired girl. Uh, could be Italian, could be Spanish, but she needs a headband. Uh, you know, like eighties pop color headband. And, and she has uh, to be fit, and she has to be athletic and acrobatic. Yeah, not like us because we are the opposite of anything that has to do with uh, fitness or eating healthy. Where's my hot dog and my uh, extra large Coke? Uh, Zach, no, this is a canon movie. We haven't seen the Go-Go Boys yet, the newer one, but what was the older canon um, documentary that we watched way back oh, in man. the day together? What was that documentary called? It was um, good. It was really good. And and so, there, yeah, there are a couple different versions out. I think uh, uh, the Go-Go Boys is the one that got, like, the I think oh. the... the most treat the best treatment as far as like a slip cover and blu-ray release but this one is called what it was called electric boogaloo the wild untold story of canon films 2014 i think yeah. you and i probably saw it either 2014 or 2015 like pretty much like right away yeah we may need to do a, we did a documentary uh, uh, episode last year on podcasting after dark maybe we need to do a canon documentary 
yeah this year around this time around yeah i think actually that would be really nice um i actually very much enjoyed doing those two documentaries guys and gals if you didn't listen watch uh, if you didn't listen to them uh go check them out um they dropped around september of last year and uh zach and i talked about the um the documentary on the island of dr moreau movie and then uh we talked about my best fiend um movie which was great so yeah i have another one i still wanted to do jodorowsky's dune documentary oh. and uh you know maybe if you do go-go boys that'd be a nice fun little you know two-parter i think we just pre-planned the episode <laughs> there, you, um, there you go and you can check out the electric boogaloo one i think it's probably free on youtube if not you can it's practically nothing and i see i've seen posts before people selling it for like a dollar on ebay so um you know you can get it for for the cheap but yes i believe anna obregon is is the face of the gogo boy uh femme fatale yeah she's a she's a, the action queen what do you call her it's uh the babe the babe with bullets no that's offensive oh how about how about the uh the uh the wowser with the, the weapons no that's not okay either how about the chick with the High-kicking harlot. Nope, nope, nope that's even nope, worse. Can't, can't do that, too. Chick with the uh, big uh, machine gun? No, just just stop while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, uh, her portrayal on the front of the movie poster yes. is her screaming. It's very accurate to her character in this movie because yes. if she's not doing some kind of tra- trapeze you know, thing, She's screaming. One of the two. Only one of the two. True. Another guy who kind of screams or whines a little bit is uh, Ed, played by Gene Quintano. <laughs> I love Ed, by the way. Oh, Absolutely yeah. love Ed. He's got a great uh, mustache, dude. That thing is baller. Yes. So this guy is an interesting dude because a lot of his credits or a lot of what? his notable things are writing credits. He yeah. wrote. <laughs> I'm just going to go down the list of some of the films that he wrote, American films. Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme, which I really like, by the way. Operation Dumbo Drop. Wow. Loaded Weapon 1. Police Academy 4 and 5. Oh, and 3. King Solomon's Mines. Alan Quartermain in the Lost City of Gold. Making the Grade with Judd Nelson and uh, Andrew Dice Clay first coming out. Uh, so this dude, he's wow. got some chops. Wow. And he actually directed Loaded Weapon 1 as well. Holy cow. I, I didn't, dude, I didn't know that at all. And acting wise, he's only been in Treasure of the Four Crowns and coming at you. Yep. Um, so that's that's wild, dude. And yeah, actually, I thought he was fun. I thought he was, he had this certain goofiness to him that I that I enjoyed. He's got a way of talking where he's like this, you know, he's from New York. He's got the, whoever did the, uh, 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 dubbing for him is this like New York guy? Well, it's it's weird because you wonder did he does he do his own dubbing because he's he is an American, so like I mean could have been, and that's the thing like like everything looks ADR in this movie, um, but you don't ever get you don't ever get in the credits like the ADR voice actors. You don't know if like if they're just no, doing their own then. voice because a couple times I thought one of the voice actors like I swear that sounds like a GI Joe voice or something, you know? Oh yeah, totally. I wrote that down too. Yeah. 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 But so, but he might've done his own. Who the fuck knows? You know? I don't know, dude. I mean, um, I, again, I love the voices that the, that these actors have. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, 
Jerry Lazarus plays Rick. This is another interesting dude. What a great name, Jerry Lazarus. Well, first of all, he wrote the, the last movie that uh, Christopher Reeve starred in before he had his tragic accident, Above Suspicion. I mentioned I don't I don't think I mentioned it on the no, you uh, did Carpenter. Oh, I did. You did. Okay. You mentioned it, it on the Carpenter Factor. Uh, that one just uh, dropped the Village of the Damned one. I and I remember it because I just edited it too. So okay. Um, well, if if you're interested in seeing Kim Cattrall, yeah, I'm always interested in seeing Kim um, Cattrall. <laughs> it's a good movie. Yeah. And Joe Mantegna is in it. It's a good thriller. It's a good, like, straight-to-HBO thriller. Uh, he was in Police Academy 5. Uh, he was in the the, 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 the Delta Force. Um, Murphy's Law. Hot Chili. Breaking 2. Electric Boot. A lot of Go-Go Boy movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, so the, Rick Rick was uh, an understated character. And th- there's – look, guys, there's, like, five people in this entire uh, cast that are worth noting and so we're, we're almost done um we're, i'm gonna talk about i think three more people and then and that's it but uh he less smaller role but still equally important to the other roles yeah yeah i i just wish he had more of an arc um because it, it kind of alludes to an arc and then doesn't really come to play but we'll we'll get to that when we get to that as well yeah, well, somebody who uh, doesn't have an arc because he dies, spoiler, is Francisco Rabal, who plays Socrates. Probably. Uh, who's got a nasty scar on his face, by the way. Yeah, probably my favorite um, actor in the movie. I thought he was fantastic. He's his, he got a scar across his cheek and his nose, and you could tell that that's, like, real. Um, but he, he just he had this gravitas to him of an older actor you know which he you know he's also sort of playing the an older character as well but i actually really liked him and i'll call it out later but i love the scene between him and um popo the clown i thought it was a fantastic scene me too me too he's um francisco francisco is uh was is from madrid and he is a very uh he died at the age of 75 uh, he was in Dagon. He played Ezekiel in Dagon. I thought I recognized him in Dagon. Uh, if you go back and watch the film Dagon, he plays a very important character. I think he's he's pretty legendary. He's been in over 200 films and television shows. So uh, I think he's probably considered a, a legendary actor um, by notable people and, uh, you know, worth giving respect to the guys he's a solid solid actor i just watched dagon for the first time uh last oh, year thanks to like Bert. It? yeah i did i liked it a lot Bert sent sent me a copy of it uh on blu-ray and uh, the vestron one and very much enjoyed it um i'd never seen it before and i hadn't read much uh hp lovecraft i've only read like a few stories and everything but it seemed to me dagon seemed to me to be a very uh, accurate representation of lovecraftian themes and you know myths and all this kind of stuff very lovecraftian very much Stuart gordon directed that right yep yep sure did. yeah i i really liked that film um i had some i it wasn't perfect um like well there's no such no such thing as perfect but you know it, it didn't it, you can't recreate the 80s anymore and it didn't have the 80s feel to it, it had a 2000 vibe to it which yeah. is fine 
Yeah. But I liked it. I still liked it. I thought the uh, the lead actor was pretty decent. And, um, yeah, I think you guys all should check out Dagon. Um, this last actor I'm going to shout out, Emiliano Redondo, uh, who in the movies from, uh, you know, ex-con from New York. But um, <laughs> he, he plays Jonah. Oh, man. What a great what a great role! What a great character! Uh, I think it's really. I, I wish we had seen more scenes with him, but I will say, simply from just slideshow photographs of this dude, he can act in a photo. Yeah, the guy can act <laughs> in a photo. He's such a good actor. You look at him in the photo, you think he's acting. Um, he's been in over 100 films and television series. Well, 100 to be exact. He passed away at the age of 77. I think he's another one of those kind of legendary, uh, you know, Spanish actors. People know he he was with um, with uh, Socrates and Time Me Up, Time Me Down, a Pedro Almodovar film. Oh, OK, OK. Yeah, he's fun, man. Brother Jonas, I wish the character was fleshed out a bit more. Um, and I didn't really see the whole cult angle coming when I was, you know, starting this movie out. But um, <laughs> yeah. he, he definitely he pushes it forward. And a lesser actor in that role would have made it just completely lame. But he does a great job with with he doesn't have much to do. But what he does do is fun. And what I there is one moment that we'll obviously get to where he shows his comedic side, and I appreciate that. <laughs> wink, wink. Wink, wink. Uh, last thing I'll note is that Ennio Morricone did the soundtrack to this film. Yeah, and I got to say, <laughs> I didn't love the soundtrack. The score was... Yeah, it's not that great. It was too big when it didn't, when it shouldn't have been. Oh, like yeah. every, every time the score came on... Cues are so off. It was, dude, it was like the climax of like another movie like there was no subtlety to, to the score and we like him we, we've talked about him before he's a great composer but i again I, i'm not going to shit on this movie like the entire time but i do want to call out that i did not like his score in, in this at all i didn't think it fit at all i mean it's a case of like a hired gun they they probably. got the money to hire him probably and uh you know like are you gonna turn down any more it's like turning well we got john williams for the day guys um do we really need him though yeah, yeah. yes the answer is yes because yeah. the minute you slap that aim on there people go oh john williams did the score okay i'll go check it out but the zany over the top big score is another piece of the quilt that is that makes up the fun of this wild and zany movie. Well, let's cut the chit chat and uh, throw some throw some daggers at the screen at our at our <laughs> listeners. And, throw the same uh, dagger at the screen five times in a row as it get cut, 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 cut. <laughs> well, I was gonna throw. I was gonna shoot you in the chest on the left side, and then have the right side be where the <laughs> okay. bullet appears. I know. Just be, you know, because it, for aesthetic reasons, for aesthetic reasons, yeah, yeah, again. Uh, for continuity. <laughs> no, sorry, continuity and aesthetics. Um, and by the way, note to note to self: um, if Disneyland can get uh, real skeletons for their Pirates of the Caribbean ride back when it first premiered back in the day, uh, I don't see why this movie couldn't have gotten real skeletons for the skeleton scenes. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. And put them in front of a neon blue slab of plastic. <laughs> hey, uh, Corey, by the way, really quick, uh, 
can you feel me talking to you through the screen? Because this is in 3D. This <laughs> episode is in 3D. 3D. So everyone listening, put your 3D glasses on because we are about to go. You've seen Raiders, Star Wars, Aliens, and Close Encounters. But you are about to experience a totally new dimension in entertainment. from the wealth of kings, source of the magical powers of good and evil, unleashed in the hands of a madman. Now, five daring heroes defy the odds in a deadly quest to capture the greatest prize of them all. Go for it. Treasure of the Four Crowns. Modern adventure, Treasure of the Four Crows in Supervision 3D, coming soon from Canon Releasing to blast you out of your seats. Treasure of the Four Kimonos. It's a Japanese <laughs> piece, uh, period piece, starring Tom Cruise and Matt Damon as the so sole survivors of the Japanese um, uh, battles, they are both Japanese, and they don't look it, but they are. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> the other day, someone's like, hey, man, do you know that movie's not about, The Last Samurai's not about Tom Cruise? Yeah, if you watch it. I've never actually seen that one, but I did just show uh, Myra Edge of Tomorrow if, uh, while we're talking about Tom Cruise movies. Yeah, please. Just showed her uh, Edge of Tomorrow last night, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Live, Die, Repeat, a.k.a. Better all... title. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the manga that it was based on had an even better title called uh, All You Need Is Kill. They should have just gone with that instead. But anyways, love that movie. Very much enjoy that movie. Great movie. Surprised they never made a sequel. Agreed. Agreed. So, all right. But you know what we got here, buddy? We have an opening crawl. I wish it was narrated, though, in some bombastic voice, but unfortunately it's not, so you're going to have to narrate it for us. So 1983, the movie opens with the exact same crawl as Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Note for, like, word for word. It starts with Luke Skywalker is now... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> movie opens with that Star Wars crawl in the universe. There are things man cannot help to understand, powers he cannot help to possess, forces he cannot hope to control. The four crowns are such things, yet the search has begun. A soldier of fortune takes the first step. He seeks a key that will unlock the power of the four crowns and unleash a world where good and evil collide. How was that for you? Was that, that was great. I loved it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, I, that was the first time I ever tried that voice on. Um, 
Okay, so after the slow scroll, that takes about five minutes, I believe. Yes, uh, I think so. <laughs> the Canon logo pops on the screen oh, with the it. piercing score by Ennio Morricone. Uh, movie opens on a shot of a castle with a man with white pants, brown boots, red cargo jacket, <laughs> staring at the castle, getting ready to smoke a cigarette. It's J.T. Stryker. Yeah, not to baby. be confused with Dirk Diggler. What a great name, by the way. <laughs> I said I was telling Bodie the other day. I'm like, yeah, his name's J.T. Stryker, and he goes, "That's a cool name." I go, "I know." It is a cool G-I-G. name. I'm cool not gonna name. lie. I love that name. <laughs> it's it's the he, coolest part of him. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. He puts on some. Well, I did write, I did write down. He put on these the super rad gloves while the credits are playing. He throws a cigarette in the ground that's not even lit. By the way, he did not even <laughs> light the cigarette. I don't smoke. I just hold them. Okay, that's. Cool guys hold cigarettes and don't smoke them. Um, He's, he, well, you know, like the term resting bitch face? He has resting cool face. I was like, right away, he? I was like, I was like, this guy does is he? cool. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he does his cool he's face. De, if, if Damone from Fast Times became a f- soldier of fortune, quote, quote unquote, uh, he would look like JT Stryker. Yeah. He might even change his name, then, that tool. I don't know. Yeah, except for like when when shit hits the fan, we get some interesting facial expressions uh, then. And I realized like, oh, there really is only one Harrison Ford that can kind of play that. You know, he he's he's kind of silly, but he's still in control. He's still manly, but he can still be scared. He can still kind of yeah. It's it's yeah. it's uh. <laughs> I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble, but uh, you know, you can't just feather your hair and think that you're gonna look like. Han Skywalker, or whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> Indiana Han, Indiana Solo. Indiana Solo. Uh, prin- Princess Indiana. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no. So um, he does have some cool gloves. And at first thing that struck me, I was like, he's wearing white pants. So, okay, he's going to get a little dirty. That's okay. He must have some really good bleach. <laughs> uh, so while the credits are playing, he walks towards the castle. You see the logo of the movie appear in 3D. It's so great. It's, and it's not quite centered either. It's not quite centered, but it's still better than... Um... It's still better than Split Second. <laughs> the, always our worst title card ever. Harley! Harley! Okay, JT goes in the main gate of the castle, looks around the courtyard. As he walks throughout the front grounds of the castle, camera surveys the dilapidated, run-down ruins. JT makes his way into the castle up a series of stairs. Suddenly, he's outside the castle grounds on top of the castle, making his way past the, what do you call those, like the turrets? Yeah, ramparts, whatever, yeah, yeah. Ramparts? No, I think the ramparts are up top. Um, yeah, it, he's in going through the the, the drawbridge area thing. Wow, <laughs> you, and I, you and I know nothing about castles. <laughs> I, I know shit about castles. Uh, what's that game that's coming out? Yeah, Crossbows and back? Catapults. It's the only reason I know anything about castles. I used, to, I used to have Crossbows and Catapults from the 80s, and now they're remaking it. And yes, I will be buying that to play it with my nine, eight-year-old nephew. So, so as you should, it's, it's, I think it's like 30 bucks. I think yeah. that's the, that, so, um, this is, so I'm, I'm playing D and D with my son the other day and he's like, daddy, what's this word? He's, he's being the dungeon master and he's looking through the, the guide and I forget the, I forget the name now. It was right in front of me. I should have remembered. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to pronounce it. It's hard to pronounce. Right. And so he goes, what is this? And I go, oh, that's the, that's the drawbridge door to the castle. 
but it's not called a drawbridge door. It's it's got like a fancy name. Yeah. I'm like, I never knew it was called that. I'm not going to call it out in this. I'm just saying the name of that, the drawbridge door is not drawbridge door. <laughs> it's not it's just, what you think it is. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, so suddenly he's he's outside the grounds on top of the castle making his way through past the, the turrets. He approaches a corridor cautiously, walks into a room that's surrounded by ivy. He walks down into a room from that room, and the door closes on him like a like an overhead trap door, right? Mm-hmm. He hears birds squawking as he surveys the steps of the corridor. He's surrounded by owls, vultures, various birds. A muskrat that's dead that has a spike in it shoots <laughs> out uh, out of nowhere, scaring the crap out of JT. Yeah, he leaps onto the ivy vines that are hanging around, and in slow motion slides down the ivy vines onto the ground, where he's surrounded by vultures and uh, owls, and... owls, and then a flying pterodactyl. Yeah, and the funny <laughs> With... thing is, it's like you didn't need it. Like it attacks no, him, and it he has been to fine. Yeah, it would have been fine without it because he has to fight off the vultures, and you know the, it, that's doing a fine job and. First, all right, so guys and gals, this is the the beginning of 20 minutes, no dialogue. It's like scene to scene. It's him going through. This is Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is his opening scene, him doing his heist, you know. And I didn't need, it was fine with the birds. I didn't need the pterodactyl on the string. But then, like, it comes at you straight at you, you know, because it's 3D. And they, they start this technique that is throughout the entire movie where they'll repeat the same shot over and over again. And I guarantee you, if you took out all the repeated shots, you would take out 10 minutes of this film. Um, yes. Because so? li- literally you see it coming at you, and then it's the same shot again, and then the same shot again, and he's fighting it, and you're like, uh, okay, interesting. It, it's an interesting choice. But what I thought was neat was this this little this area – well, actually this whole thing has a very dreamlike – quality to it and i was very impressed by the three different sets that we see this i call the vine set the next set will be the dog set and then the following the last set will be the like the tomb set and i thought all three of them all three of them were very uh well decorated like seen like set decorated and and the sets are really cool in this movie in my opinion i totally agree um you know there's not a whole lot of info on the backstory of this movie as far as like production wise, yeah, you know, why they made the choices they made. And so you, you kind of go, you kind of got to go off of, uh, assumptions. And my assumption is that the producers wanted more flash, right? Yeah. So yeah. they added these things in, which is, it, it's neither here nor there. Cause the movie's been made. So you just got to deal with it. Yeah. What we're about to deal with is, if you think that's the most absurd thing that could happen in this film, we're just getting started. Oh, God, guys, we are just getting started. It's going to ramp up steadily. So he fights off these birds uh, and the pterodactyl. They squawk at him. He crawls through uh, like a small little door opening in the room, which a uh, spike door comes down behind him, drawbridge door, which it's not called that, but you get the point. <laughs> uh, he goes through another tunnel. And at this point, you know, he's he's breathing heavy. Puffs of smoke are coming out because it's probably 40 degrees in there. Uh, he enters a room that's covered in cobwebs yeah. and broken down beams and dust. And his and there's a close-up of his eyes for no reason. A close-up of his eyes for no reason. 
Well, he does they a do lot this of twice. Twice, by the way. Well, he does a lot of like you know eye acting and face acting, which he has to because he has no one to play off of. You know, unlike in Raiders, Indiana Jones had uh, you know characters to to kind of play off of and everything. Um, when you think about that opening scene, he's not really by himself for that you know very long. It's only when he kind of swaps the idol. You know, um, true, true. Um, but here, uh, uh, Tony Anthony is is leading the entire movie for 22 minutes um all on his own for better or worse uh but he, you get to know him you get to know his all his facial expressions really quickly yeah we all have a good side well not not all of us some of us are blessed with a 365 beautiful facha uh, uh, that's what you're gonna say. not all of us some of us are scary <laughs> scary monster um don't be chicken shit <laughs> there you go that was good. That i was knew good. i knew you were gonna you knew where i was going with it i got you i got you anyways uh back to the movie he he finds a rope in the room that leads down to a tunnel to another room there's some sort of like gate in the in the hole as well like midway through where the rope is uh and and the gate opens up and jt falls into the gate in the hole uh, he pulls himself out, though. He, like, climbs back out of the hole, right? And then a giant snake slowly comes down towards him as he's crawling out of this hole. It's a giant boa constrictor. It's a real one. Yeah. By the oh, way. yeah. It's a real one. And yeah, he looks real. really terrified of it, as yeah, I would yeah. be as well. Yeah. I, I totally don't blame him. Snakes. I hate snakes. Uh, it gets right up in his face. It goes off his body, travels down on the ground, away from him. JT pulls himself out of this hole. It quickly turns around and sees a dog barking at him. Suddenly, several dogs pop out of nowhere. There's like five dogs, by the way, and they all start running towards him. And they catch his arm and they do that whole, you know, gimmick where like, the dog's biting your arm like a dog trainer is fighting him, basically. We, we talked about that in the Mouth of Madness uh, episode on, on uh, Patreon. And yeah, we did, how and we this hate... actually is not as bad. I know. Actually, I think this is probably done better, but we both hate that. It's always in a movie. We get it. I mean, we both understand why and how it's being done, but I, I honestly, it wasn't until probably John Wick 3 that I saw really good dog action for the first time because i've always hated dog action it never really works <laughs> yeah i'm not a big fan of doggy style action <laughs> um, uh, so he fights these dogs off i agree with you by the way uh i just don't like animals being put through that sort of thing well it's two. well i mean it's funny because you're watching him fight those five dogs and you know, in your head, you, to them, they're just playing. And it's one point he's, like, trying to push them, and they're, like, all just, you know, they don't know that they're being filmed. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just think they're having fun. But in the canon of the movie, um, I did enjoy how he punches one of them in the face, you know? <laughs> and uh, he kind of fights them off. But, you know, I it's it's fine. I just, I've just never was, I've never been a big fan of dog, of dog action scenes. That's all. Yeah, this scene doesn't go on too long. Um, no. He battles them away, and then out of, out of nowhere, he's, like, running through the room, and he crashes through a nearby window. The dogs chase after him. Uh, he runs past a smoking cauldron yeah, up, a series of st- up a series of stairs that appears to be, like, a loft kind of ceiling area, uh, the attic, that he's, uh, and he he jumps over to it, and he falls through, uh, like, a trap door. When he jumps over to the the 
the the the ceiling area. Yeah, I and know. It's guys, it's it's hard to sort of figure out what it's all supposed to be because when you're watching the scene, it's just nothing but timber, like you know, pieces of planks of woods and stuff, you know, and then cobwebs everywhere. I wouldn't yeah. even know how to describe this scene. So good job, Zach, buddy. I mean, you're Thank doing you. the best you can. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So so he like t- kind of tries to jump over to like the stairway to go up into the this other upper room but he falls and what he does is he falls through the the tunnel you know earlier that he started to fall through and climb himself out climbed out of um and it's like a stained glass infused tunnel like there's this trippy lighting in there like kind of futuristic it's cool looking yeah he shoots out of the tunnel there's a couple parts like that where there's some kind of weird, it, like it doesn't have to be multicolored and everything, but it is. And I yeah. like it. Like I like this shot right here. I like this, um, the look of this tunnel thing that he's falling through. And it's got also got something to do with, I think the camera lens that they're using because of the, the, the 3d kind of creates this dreamlike effect throughout almost the entire movie. And, uh, I, I do quite enjoy it, especially this shot of him in this stained glass tunnel. Yeah, and and I'm kind of glazing over, or not even glazing. I'm not even talking about it. There there's moments throughout this opening where he's like pointing at the camera, something lunges at the camera. Yeah. If you thought Jaws three three D usage was kind of lame, that this takes the cake because yeah. it's literally like look at my finger, you know, kind of stuff. And and it is it's all hokey. But you also have to appreciate that their people are trying to do something different. It's just trying to do something. It's a gimmick, but why not? And I appreciate the fact that it's consistent throughout the entire movie. Um, Yeah, some of them are gimmicks, but at the same time, like you said, um, they have to be thought out. Like, these shots have to be, like, thought out and everything. And I call out some of the interesting ones, you know, later on. But, uh, you know, the thing is, for every, you know— You'll, you'll get 10 of these 3D shots in the span of as maybe as many minutes. I mean, it's a lot, guys. But say, like, five of them you kind of don't notice, you know what I mean? Like, they kind of – you sort of get used to them after a while. Then of the other five, you know, I'd say, like, two of them are really bad. And then three of them are actually kind of like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Made yeah. me want to put on the 3D glasses and, you know, check it out. So I appreciate the effort in that regard, truthfully. The 3D aspect of this movie, I have a less of a problem with. It's more of a problem with them reusing the same shot over and over again in quick succession to kind of create this intensity that I think if they kind of did that a couple times versus as much as they did, it would have been more effective. But I don't I don't have any problem with uh, uh, the Go-Go Boys pushing the 3D here and everything. I I think that was a smart play because I do think it makes this movie stand out. I, I agree. Speaking of standing, or in this case, flipping, uh, when Stryker goes through that trippy tunnel, he comes out the other side and does a flip and lands on his feet and appears <laughs> in the treasure room. And I love how, eight. obviously, the flip wasn't him. That was like an, it's a great, gymnast. Though. Uh, but when it's, he, I love when he stands up. He's like, ah, he's got the eyes. You're like looking left and right. You so know? proud of himself. <laughs> I, I would know. be proud of myself if my stunt double did that for me. <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what he's he's now in the room of what appears to be like an ancient king, a throne room with uh, with a banquet table and a bunch of dead skeletons. Well, a bunch of skeletons, really, because they're already dead. They're all dead. They're all um, messed up. They're all messed up. The room is covered in cloths and dust and spider webs, and it's adorned with gold. 
and silver silverware. There's a bunch of knight statues, uh, knight uh, armored outfits. JT picks up a sword from the dining room table, looks at it, and just kind of throws it back on the table. <laughs> um, he knocks over a bunch of silverware, and he walks over to what appears to be a large coffin. He smugly looks at the coffin, nods his head, and takes two straps off of his legs. He fixes the straps onto the coffin and steps away from it and basically pulls a remote control out from his jacket and blows up the coffin. In the meantime, you see cuts of like a dead skeleton shaking its head, uh, like kind of moving around slightly. Walks back over to the coffin. He picks up a giant axe, lays the axe on top of the coffin, and uses the axe to kind of lift the lid of the coffin. And when he does, there's a green neon light emerging from inside. He looks inside and sees smoke. Smoke starts to fade away, and you can see a quick shot of another skeleton moving its arm in, uh, like, the throne chair. JT turns when he hears the sound of the movement and sees the skeleton's no... The skeleton is no longer moving. JT yeah, so looks over and sees... was that like in his head or something? Like, do you think that was like in his head? Like he thought no, it was it's the happening? Spirits. Huh? I think it's the spirits. Okay, yeah. It's the spirits of the room. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love how we're having a serious conversation. About this. <laughs> so he looks over and sees a knight in armor slowly, turns back towards the coffin. He's very cautious. He looks back in the coffin and sees the remains of the king holding a scepter. Music intensifies very loudly. As JT smugly smiles, he grabs the scepter from the king's hands. The music starts to crescendo as JT turns the scepter upside down and pushes two sides of the scepter back and forth with like a springy action going on. I'm like, oh, they had springs back in the the uh, the age of, what do you call it? Ultron? What, what's the age of? <laughs> I don't know. Medieval times or Medi- whatever. There you go. Medieval I, dinner. I just, I do want to call out the fact that I <laughs> oh, yeah, love. Go ahead, please. Sorry. I, I love the look of, so the skeleton is on this like, uh, you know, plexiglass kind of thing, like with blue light underneath of it and smoke all, smoke all around it. And the effect I think is what you're supposed to get is that, you know, it's just like a, an ambient light coming up, but at the shot, you know, once the smoke sort of dissipates, you can clearly, you know, sort of tell what it is. But I think it looks amazing. I think... I think it does, too. Design-wise, I don't think it's a gaff. I think it looks really fucking cool to have him, that skeleton, on that piece of plexiglass or whatever with the light from behind it and everything. I, I agree. It, again, the set design is one of the main things of this movie that is absolutely amazing. Yeah, um... Make no bones about it. This film is low budge and yeah. cheese ball, but but it, it's again. I don't care if it's a rip. I like Alan Quartermain, and I like all those other uh, you know Indiana Jones esque type films. Uh, but this one for me takes the cake because it's just so different and so like wild. Yeah, and the guy looks different. He doesn't look like your cliche hunky boy he looks yeah. like the guy like i said earlier he should be selling you stereo equipment at you know sam goody or whatever yeah because alan quartermain looks similar to indiana jones or more more so indiana jones more rugged yeah just yeah. rugged but more this so indiana jones rugged. is a ripoff of alan quartermain because that was a literary character that was around for much longer and everything totally and they, but they both have that standard tough guy look 
you know, that chiseled good look and that kind of the, you know, the khaki shirt and the tan pants and the jacket and stuff like that. Things you expect. He, TJ uh, Stryker, he JT. looks JT Stryker. There you go. JT Stryker looks unlike Indiana Jones, like not even close. And I like that. I respect that about the character, that he's not trying to look like Alan Quartermain or Indiana Jones. I just, I'm like, if I'm sneaking into a place, or you know, where I don't know what is going to be in front of me, I don't think I'm going to wear white pants and a red jacket. That might stand out a little bit. I, he looks like Daniel LaRusso when he went to go pick up uh, Allie in The Karate Kid and it gets pasta dumped on him. Or... He's walking in here with big dick energy with his red jacket and his white I pants. Mean, and he's like, fuck, fuck you ghosts. I got big dick energy. I totally support that. <laughs> I support that. I support that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, he's, he's, he's pinching the, the scepter pieces of the scepter with this, with the spring action. And suddenly a little key wedges out and falls out, uh, into the coffin. He picks up the key and smiles after the music ends. Suddenly he hears a moaning sound looks towards one of the skeletons extreme close up of the of the eyes of JT Stryker looking around the moaning intensifies while you see various shots of the rem- remaining skeletons uh starting to kind of move large pots in the back of the room start to like emitting smoke from them like dry uh, cross- ice is is coming out of them it looks really cool there's i mean it's they're massive pots and then just like that dry ice smoke is just you know, rolling out the top and down the sides. It's really cool. It, out of nowhere. Yeah, it's very cool. And then out of nowhere, crossbows fly out of nowhere. The crossbow itself. Yeah. The crossbow comes closer to JT, starts shooting arrows at him. These floating crossbows on strings, but who cares? Everything. I don't I don't care. I, I don't care I, that I see everything just on strings. Just let it go. Because, you know, like, I look at this through a kid's lens. A little kid who... Uh, is not well little kids now are way more savvy but we didn't care back then Nah, no we didn't so these yeah crossbows are shooting at him spears coming out of nowhere shooting at jt multiple spears the same spear but from different angles (laughs) uh nearly missing his head by the way at one point a spear comes right towards his head he kind of ducks out of the way it misses him by like inches there's a few times in this movie where I think Tony Anthony was literally, you know, inches away from getting hit by, you know, a fake weapon, but that would hurt if it hit you in the face because they all seem to be coming at his head and uh, he barely dodges them. I don't care if it's, you know, aluminum foil sword, it's still going to hurt if it hits you, you know. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, the moaning finally stops. Then here's a cackling sound, like laughter. Suddenly, out of nowhere, some like weird gun appears floating towards JT. Uh, JT rushes the gun, yelling at it. <laughs> the gun blasts at him and hits him in the chest, blowing a hole in JT's jacket, which, in the next scene, it's the holes on the other side of his jacket, but whatever, who cares? Uh <laughs> And it's also, it looks like his jacket might have, like, Kevlar in it. Um, yes, cause, I mean, that's it is what like, I took, too. Yeah, I mean, it is like a, a musket type of gun, you know, thing. And he, it's so weird because he's, like, it's pointing at him and he doesn't do anything. And then he, like, kind of goes, rah, aggressively at it. And it shoots him. And then it laughs at him. And he sort of, like, shrugs it off. But I'm like, but if you didn't have armor right there in your jacket, you would have been dead. Like, it would have killed you. Yeah, BD. 
Yeah, there you go. Him and Michael Moriarty from The Stuff should hang out and go bowling together. Oh, God, love love that movie, dude. <laughs> Especially Michael Moriarty in it. I want yeah. to talk to you about this thing that's going on down in The Stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, listen to that episode, by the way. Suddenly out of nowhere, a flying, spinning, spiky thing. That's just what I wrote. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll get another flying, spinny, spiking thing <laughs> yes. later on in the movie. Yes, you will. Uh, j- starts... It flies right at JT. JT jumps into the coffin to avoid it. The thing stops rolling. JT makes his way out of the coffin finally. There's a window right above the coffin that was glowing red. And suddenly the window is glowing white and you hear thunder and lightning in the sky. JT jumps out of the coffin. His jacket is now torn up in several areas. Bummer, because it's a cool jacket. Flying balls of fire shoot at JT as he misses... Uh, as he as he nearly misses all of them, one ball of fire knocks him in the back. Though as he gets knocked over, a bunch of weapons get knocked over. The weapons like they're on one of those. Um, I just remember from uh, Castle Grayskull, the 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 thing that held all the weapons that came with yes. Castle Grayskull, uh, that kind of thing. It's like a wooden weapon holder. Yeah, mm-hmm. weapon rack. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> weapon rack. I remember yes. that too. Yeah, that little accessory that came with Castle Grayskull. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he knocks that over. The Suddenly now everything starts going up in flames because of the flying flame balls. Uh, there's flame balls all over the place. JT narrowly gets hit by several of them. One comes right towards his hand. He blocks it with his hands. He crashes into the silverware on the table. A light above the table opens up with a giant fireball coming down directly on top of the table. JT narrowly escapes it. He runs out of the room while a giant flaming ball it's like a wicker ball on fire, but it's not just, you know, so in Raiders of the Lost Ark, we had that giant ball that chases uh, Indiana, 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 Indiana. but this one is, he's got, it's a flaming ball. Yes. And he's not just got one flaming ball. He's got two flaming balls flying towards him. Yes. I can totally see the go-go boys being like, oh, this is how we're going to top Indiana Jones. Not one boulder fall, you know, going after him. We're going to have three and they're going to be on fire. Except they're only going to be a quarter of the size of Indiana Jones's boulder. Exactly. Yeah, they're very tiny, but they they look cool. They do. Um, they do. He he pulls out. He hops over a table, pulls the table up on its side, so the balls crash into the table. Uh, the window that was red is na- that's now white. Uh, he runs towards the window. Uh, he grabs like a curtain on the side of the wall and s- crashes through the window. As the room goes up in flames, cut to an exterior of the castle as JT hurriedly runs out of the castle, fast as lightning, as you hear lightning and thunder, and you see the castle exploding in from behind him. Huge explosions going up all around the castle. JT runs in slow motion, narrowly avoiding the explosions, and he makes a big dive Onto a plot of dirt that's like maybe three feet in front of him. Yes, yes. And it's really funny because it's like a padded piece of yes. flop dirt. But yes. but it but it's like it's like you the, the intention is to run maybe like over a wall so you're protected and safe. But you know uh, there's a funny scene in the Dudley Moore Kirk Cameron body swapping movie called Like Father Like Son. Yeah, where that. where uh, Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore Kirk Cameron's like a star track athlete right and he swaps bodies with dudley moore who's who's a brain surgeon and or uh you know great doctor or whatever and kirk cameron has this big track meet 
and they've swapped bodies. And Kirk Cameron, who's now Deadly Moore, is like, don't go to the track meet, you know, uh, and and dad, don't go to the track meet, dad, right? And Dudley Moore, who's in Kirk Cameron's body, is like, I can do it. I can run, right? But he doesn't know how to run in his son's body. Right. So he's at the track meet, and he's, like, totally losing. And he goes and jumps, and he lands, like, three feet before the finish line. And he's like, how would I do? And they're like, you didn't even cross the line yet, you dickhead. <laughs> and so it's that same moment where he's like, I'm coming for victory. Thrap, thump. Like, he j- jumped a foot. Yeah. It's really funny. And I'm like, come on, JT. You're come so close, man. You're, you're so close. You're almost there. But, dude, they fucking, like... They send, blow up this castle. They fucking send fireballs, like, up this castle. And I'm like, you know, the first one, I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. I'm like, oh, then there's another one. Then there's another one. And I'm like, huh, okay. I mean- no, no, no. We cannot touch two explosions. We must have six. And I'm just like... Did the, I wonder if the owners of this castle authorized this level of pyrotechnics? But um, I mean, it's it's impressive. I would love to see the owner. The owner's like, "Can I come to the set and watch no. the movie?" Being sure, sure. And he's like, "What are you doing to my castle?" Uh, and then my second question is: Is this the same castle as later, just shot from a different angle, type of thing? Yes. Yes. So. Yes. So, so what? <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert, it is. Suspension disbelief. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so oh. wild scene. Um, I hey, paused we covered it. the 20-minute scene in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I paused it, and I was like, there's no dialogue here. How long has this been? I was like, it's been like 21 minutes, and then we still have him going to be like walking through like an airport or something, you know, so there's going to be like another minute of him not talking, and I was like, oh, my God. God, this was 21 minutes of no talking whatsoever. I loved it. I'm sure you did. Actually, it was it was it was a different way of note taking. I was like, I'm doing like football commentary right now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, it, it, it's wild. It's wild, and and you know, it immediately cuts and, well, to. And I, and before we're done with this scene, oh, I yeah, want to yeah. say Marconi's, uh, uh, you know, music. Mar- Mar- Marconi. Marconi. This his music here is score. I mean, dude, it's it's a crescendo that should be for the climax of like the movie, but it's like the yes. first twenty minutes, and it's it's so it's so big, it's so big, so bombastic. It's just it's huge. There's no subtlety to the score here whatsoever because we're gonna get the, all these same cues again multiple times throughout this whole movie. I think you're right. I bet you he only did maybe one day of like scoring and was like, here, here are the themes. Here's a couple themes for you to use and then just put them in wherever you sort of want because he doesn't give any kind of – he'll give the same level of score of bigness um, that he has here to like other parts later. And it's like, yeah. so then what, what am I supposed – how am I supposed to feel when everything is huge, you know? Yeah, I can, I can just see – Neo in, in his in his studio or whatever, and be like, "What do we have in the uh, in the trash over there?" What? <laughs> oh, you mean all the stuff you just threw away? Yeah, just pull some crap out and just send it to them. It'll be good. It's the Go Go Boys. They don't care. I here's here's my podcast bet. He just scored the first twenty minutes, like this scene here and everything. And then was like, that's good enough. You can just take the stuff that I scored and use it throughout the the movie because it doesn't vary. It sounds 
the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know how we feel about music. It's a bring down. But this score is so ridiculous uh, at times. And you're like, okay, kind of fits the movie. Yeah, no. Everything that I'm saying is a negative. And this movie is, is weirdly a positive because it just yeah, yeah, adds no. to the craziness that is this film. Totally, totally. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke. (laughs) Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show interesting scene you cut to a airport the next day but it's like a, a scene of the the fence and you're like oh cool well, this is like trashy fence that you're this is the way we're gonna sh- start this scene at the airport okay <laughs> yeah but the uh, next scene is fucking amazing because he's like walking beautiful beautiful he's walking through this corridor that has you know you can see out outside you know he's on like ground level but yeah it's not a window, it's a waterfall. So it's like essentially he's walking on the inside of this waterfall, which I guess is, you know, it's probably something in Madrid or whatever. You know, it's just a location, but it's a gorgeous location. It's amazing. It's almost like it's it's almost like when we saw that awesome late 70s airport in Zombie and we were yeah. just like this is just a, like this location is just amazing. It it's like this the, the, where he's walking right now is just amazing. Um well, yeah. but almost as amazing as his jacket. Bl- blue fur coat fleece jacket thing, whatever the fuck it is, it is baller, dude. It is awesome. Yeah, he's got what appears to be one of the most beautiful uh, like kind of leather suede fur coats. Probably every, you know, PETA would just have a heart attack watching him walk around because it's probably every exotic animal was killed for this beautiful jacket. Uh, and he is, yeah, the, the tunnel kind of area that he's walking in reminds me, there's a, there's a scene in the movie Shoot to Kill with uh, Sidney Poitier and Tom Perringer and Kirstie Alley, which I just brought up on um, Aaron Gilmer's Manic Movie Monday podcast and uh in a future episode and uh it's a very it's a uh, an area in vancouver i believe that looks almost identical to this and i'm like i want to go there it's really cool looking 
Yeah, I don't know where this is. I don't know what where this location is, but knowing that they filmed in like Spain and Madrid, I just I assume it's there, you know. But yeah, he's, no, totally. But the, I guess the idea is he's walking out of the airport and then heading into a cab with yes. uh, Edmund. And well, there's a, there's a there's a car waiting for him. Oh yeah, it's not a cab; it's a car. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, it's a car waiting for him, and there's a robot driving it. No, that's total recall. Um, <laughs> total recall. Total recall. So yeah, uh, JT walks up to a car that's waiting for him. Gets in. Uh, his buddy Ed is in there. Ed asks how he's doing. JT gets in the car. How you doing, JT? And uh, and JT goes, you know, you're supposed to be my friend, and you lied to me. And Ed says, you're wrong. I didn't lie to you as the car drives away. JT says, well, you sure as hell left out a lot of important details. That place was a nightmare. You almost got me killed. As they drive through the city, their conversation continues. They drive past something that looks like a, it's called the Piaget. I'm like, oh, in Madrid, the Piaget. It's famous, I think. Okay. Uh, and then Ed goes, hey, I told you. I told you there was a legend surrounding the existence of the key. But no, you didn't want to listen. You said, and I'm paraphrasing now, that you didn't believe in ghosts and that legends were cow excrement. <laughs> and JT says, Ed, I want you to do me a favor. Just give me my money and I'm going to say goodbye. And Ed says, well, you didn't, well, you still haven't told me. Did you get the key or not? JT says, I got the key and when you pay me, it's yours. Overhead, there's shots of the city as they drive around. Suddenly, the car pulls in front of a large building. It's uh, some sort of museum or college. Ed and JT get out of the car and walk into the building. They enter the building and walk down a corridor with more knights on either <laughs> side of them. <laughs> JT looks at the knights as they walk down, probably wondering if they're going to attack him like they did <laughs> yeah. earlier. Ed leaves him for a moment and goes and says he's going to get the professor. As JT waits, he looks at all the different knights with their weapons. and the They're very cool looking, by the way. I'm like... I want to go with this place. This I want to see some ancient knights. This stuff this stuff looks cool, right? Yeah, when I was a kid I loved uh knights in armor. Well, y'all know I'm an armor file, but I was a big knight fan and I remember I had some of those metal knight toys, you know, those like yeah, guy, yeah those little yeah, little knight toy guys and yeah, stuff. Little night, thought, night yeah. Guys. yeah, little knight guys. Yeah, little knight guys. I love that uh yeah. Uh, yeah, little knight guys. I love that uh D&D uh, Bra- uh Lionheart or Braveheart or whatever the that the the night was and the, mm. and the LJN D and D toys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. Neca is making a version of him that looks pretty badass. Okay, I cool. might actually buy that. I don't know. As JT waits, he looks at the knights. Suddenly, Ed reappears with the professor, and the movie star. Just kidding. <laughs> the professor and the prof- Mary Ann. <laughs> and Gilligan's Island. Um. <laughs> The professor asks, do you have the key, Mr. Stryker? Sam, like, pretty much sounds just like the guys in the movie. JT, 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 JT pulls a little bag out of his pocket and slowly starts to unravel it. The professor grabs it out of his hands aggressively. <laughs> give it looks to me. Ple- give it to me. Looks pleased. The professor looks excited. The professor, the professor says, the crowns. Cuts to the interior of another room with an ancient artifact surrounding it. From revolutionary era, right? Like, um, I want to say, like, Napoleon, French outfits, night helmets. Uh, There's night helmets next to a really cool wooden box on the table. The box on the table suddenly has a clicking sound, and it opens with a crown inside the box. Ed says, this is one of the four golden crowns created by the Visigoths in the 6th century. 
sometime after their conquest of Spain. JT looks totally annoyed and not impressed, but the professor continues. Legend dictates that the gold balls atop three of the four crowns contain secrets to unleashing incredible powers of good and evil. Ed, in 3D action, gives the professor tweezers and a magnifying lens. The only time I don't like the 3D stuff is when they do it when they're handing it to yeah. somebody Look else. at what I'm doing yeah. with my 3D. Do you feel it? And I, I get it. I, I totally, I think there was a, clearly there was a mandate that every scene had to have X amount of 3D elements in it. But it's like, how do we make the 3D elements in this a scene of just people talking? Well, you have them hand things to each other. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that you know what kind of movie this is. I, I'm just happy that you're not like, no, no, this is good, you know? <laughs> That's why I watched this movie three times. I watched yeah. it once to break it down. It was the easiest breakdown I've ever done because I, I like – I, I watched it once for funsies, a second time for funsies, and then the third time to break it down, I'm like, I know this movie so well. I, it, it's like it left such an indelible mark on my mind from when I was a child. Just think about like being a kid and seeing this shit go down. And you're like, whoa. The the scene that comes up later with the uh, the three-dimensional map of the, of the layout of the castle. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I want that toy. Yeah, that, that would have been, that's that's a great that would have been a great set to play with GI Joe's on. Yes, or dude. You know? Yes. Yeah. The professor continues. After centuries, they passed into the fabric of myth and legend until 1887. He's talking about the crowns. Ed continues after when an archaeologist discovered them in the mountains outside Toledo, not Toledo, Toledo. <laughs> we say Toledo. The rest of the world says, fuck you, America. <laughs> By the way, Nissan, I think is Nissan. Nissan. Really? And yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a Gran Turismo movie coming out, and okay. everybody in it is pronouncing it Nissan. And I'm like, is it Nissan? That's wild. Are we the only country in the Mer- in the world in America? Are we the only country in the world that s- calls it Nissan? I think so. Are we assholes? Y- yes. yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. The professor continues. When the Arabs invaded Spain, three of the four crowns disappeared. The fourth fell into the Arabs' hands. In attempting to unlock its secrets without using the key, they destroyed the gold ball. While the professor is narrating, the camera closes in on one of, ju- on one of the jewels inside the crown. JT looks on somewhat interested now. Professor continues. So, the whole three- side note, so this is called the Treasure of the Four Crowns, but... Even before the movie starts, there is only three of them. Because the whole time well, the I was like, "Started the movie has started." And no, three. no, because they were talking about how the fact that like you know it was destroyed like way back in the day or something. It's like I was like, I was like, "Am I missing something? Did is there only three crowns here?" I and I must have, thing. yeah, I must have missed that di- that little bit of dialogue. That's what I'm here for. That's why Thank I tracked you. all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are, there were four. There were four, three, there were four crowns from the Lord, and then one crown fell to the Arabs. Whoa. No. <laughs> fell to, fell to and the... And we're canceled. <laughs> <laughs> there were four crowns from the Lord, and then one crown fell down a hill, and Jack and Jill went... Never mind. Um, so the professor continues. Three years ago, I learned the location of the key. 
but there was no sense in recovering it, since the crowns were still missing, until this crown, reportedly containing the scroll, had surfaced. At this point, the professor has opened up the little jewel that the camera closed in on. There's like a little hole for a key. He puts the key into it that JT had brought him, right? And he turns the key and opens the top of the crown, right? So there's there's jewels in the outside of the crown, pulls this little jewel away, has a keyhole, turns the key. The top of the crown opens up, exposing a scroll. The professor looks pleased. JT, not so much. But JT, but but the professor pulls out the scroll. And that makes sense because they said that the the three of the four had the the gems, had the rocks in them that granted power. One was destroyed when they were tried to open it. So then, yeah, this one wouldn't have any, it wouldn't have a gem in it, and it would just be the other two that they have to go get later. Okay. Yes. Yes. And and the professor continues talking about a Sherpa mountain climber uh, finding the crown. And, and the professor says, and, he, and, and I convinced him to sell it to me. He opens up the scroll, and there's ancient writing on it. And he says, the very existence of this scroll supports the legend. And JT finally says, and where are the other crowns? And Ned says, we know where they are. They quickly walk over to the professor's desk while JT walks over to some sort of like mechanical device uh, that causes the lights to, to go dark and a screen to come down on the wall. And there's a projector on the wall. You hear the voice of a very creepy man. This actually scared the shit out of me as a kid. And I'm like, now I know why. Shel Silverstein's face scared the crap out of me as a kid. You know, he's this menacing looking dude on the back of where the sidewalk ends. And yeah. Like, oh. It turns out he's a really sweet guy. Uh, like menacing dudes with goatees back in the day really creeped me out. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I mean, this brother Jonas, he's he's freaky looking and you know he's intense i'll say that he's very intense and i can see why uh 83 you saw this in the theater Uh, i was five so that makes you seven seven or eight so i can see yeah Yeah, i can see why this would be like intense when you watch it and everything i might have been six because this came out in january so okay okay you hear the voice of this creepy guy and then you see this photo of a maniacal cult leader with his arms raised up and he's standing in front of a tree. He's got a weird symbol on his forehead. And then the man, you hear the man narrating, the, the, the cult leader uh, speaking. I want you to taste what I taste. I want you to hear what I hear. I want you to see what I see. While this is going on, the professor is shuffling through slides of the, like, the maniac in different poses. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to be what I am. And if you won't, then go to hell. Suddenly you hear a crowd chanting, Jonas, Jonas. As the crowd chants, the camera pans through the halls of the room that the professor, JT, and Ed are in. JT doesn't look impressed. Ed is turning up the volume on the sound. He turns the volume on the sound machine down and starts talking after the chanting ends, describing the cult leader. You see one last photo of the cult leader. And Ed says, Leo Green, born in, born in Brooklyn, New York. Served seven years in Sing Sing for armed robbery, where he claims to have experienced a religious vision. 
When he got out, he borrowed a hundred bucks and became one of those mail order ministers. <laughs> and, he or- and he ordained himself, calling himself Brother Jonas. When his small storefront cult following began to grow, he complained of political harassment that the uh, government claimed tax fraud. He's got the crowns. JT at this point looks like he's about to fall asleep. Yeah, while it's, Ed, it's, it's like his his head is on the table right now. <laughs> he's like, "Can I just have my money so I can leave?" While Ed shifts to another creepy picture of Jonas, he goes. Ed continues, "This guy is an animal. We're not talking about some nut who thinks he's the Messiah or a bunch of brainwashed kids in robes bugging you in an airport. This maniac recruits for a purpose, a power base for his chosen people. The sick, the desperate." The lonely. His apostles go out and round him up like they were stray dogs. Then they ship him off to his private mountain fortress. The slide shifts to an ancient fortress on top of a hill. The original castle in the beginning, but we're not going to talk about that. It's totally, it's totally the original castle just shot from a different angle. By the way, I'm like, cult leader, Nexium? Is this like Nexium? <laughs> Is he going to brand their pubic areas? Right, I'm sure he would. You look at this place. They got armed guards moving around with M16s. It's supposedly to keep people out, huh? Truth is, it's to keep the apostles in. Hell, they even have cells there if you disobey his laws. Well, they just they just took over a castle, so of course there's going to be cells there. It's, it's right? not a leap to, to, to jump to, you know? No, no. And he shows, like, photos of these creepy guards with, like, pig, mask face, pig masks on their face and dogs throughout. Then you cut back to Jonas speaking. Welcome, my children. Welcome to the city of love and unity. I have prayed for the day when I would see your face before me. The face of loneliness. Slide shift to an aggressive looking Jonas. It's like all these different photos. Show me happy. Show me sad. Show me aggressive. And and they were clearly shot when he was filming his scenes, you know, later, essentially. Totally. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Ed continues while the narration of Jonas is going on. He fills him with this, here you are needed, here you are love bowl, and turns them against everything and everyone they've known. Slide shift to a shot of Jonas's cult and Jonas walking the grounds. That's his indoctrination squad. They pound on the new converts for 90 days and 90 nights until they're walking zombies. They'll do anything for this guy. They turn over their money, their property, their souls, all for brother Jonas. Last county had 15,000 of them working the airports, shopping malls, streets, all over the world. Slide shows cult leaders with the weird pig masks on their face. Each one of them can turn in between 60 and 90,000 a year. Now you figure that out. That's close to $900 million, tax free. That's insane. Yeah, we should start Slideshow a religion. Ends, <laughs> right? Slideshow ends, Ed, Professor, look at JT. Professor says, he must be stopped, Mr. Stryker. For Jonas, the crowns are a source of destructive power, weapons of fear. But I want to preserve that power for the future of mankind. They're part of an incredible legacy. I must have them. JT, again, who looks like he was asleep, walks, close, walks closer toward the professor and says, Let me ask you something. Why do all those people have Halloween masks on? Ed goes, Those are the only photos to have ever come out of there. They were taken during the height of the 90-day indoctrination period for new converts. Everyone in the cult but Jonas wears a mask. 
because of the individual's identity because the individual's identity is insignificant. Only he's important. And JT says, "So what's this got to do with me?" And Ned says, "We want you to help us steal the crowns." I'm like, "Doy." Yeah, of course. And then Ed and then JT goes, "Forget it. Just give me the money, <laughs> will you?" <laughs> JT's not interested at all, and the professor looks annoyed, pulls out an envelope from his pocket, and says, Here, here's your damn money. Throws down the money on the table and says, I don't believe you. Oh, Ed says, I don't believe you. For once in your life, you got a chance to do good for somebody. Help us get the crowns. JT looks at the envelope, shakes his head, and says, Weird. <laughs> he walks out of the room as he does, and, he's, and he says, And the two of you, sitting in this big room. Believing in that fairy tale magic potion crap? <laughs> Ed yells at him and says, And you? What you went through for that key? That was a fairy tale, huh? JT continues to talk as he's walking out. He goes, Nah, that was damn real. Ed goes, Look, we got a plan. We got diagrams, photos, blueprints. All we need is a few people. JT finally walks to the back door and says, Ed, you lost it. And he leaves. Yeah. That's wild. It's a great scene. It's a great moment. I'm like, this is kind of funny. This is kind of entertaining. This yeah. is a really cool setup. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and there's a, there, there's humor throughout. Um, you know, JT's kind of, kind of cool guy and everything. He's not down for this. Um, I got no beef with this scene here. I thought it was, was fun. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, the only thing I don't get is uh, he walks out of this scene clearly oh. not, not going to do it. And then cut to the very next scene is JT and Ed going to recruit. You know, like it's the start of the recruiting part of the movie. Um, yeah. And I'm like, so? Huh. <laughs> so like he couldn't have given us anything of like any indication that JT was going to walk back in and agree to this, but okay. But yeah, other than that, I mean, yeah, I, I liked how JT wasn't into it. You know, he's like, no, it's weird. I liked that. He was like, this is weird. This is <laughs> I weird. like that. And I liked how I was like, two of you sitting here in this big room. It's like, that's weird. I, I like that. I liked his, like his nonchalantness about all of that. But, I, but then he's, you know, it's, it's, Still an hour and forty minute movie, but yet there's still <laughs> scenes missing that we need. You know. Well, it's it's funny because the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, I really like that movie Hudson Hawk with uh, Bruce mm. Willis and mm. Danny Aiello. I think it's actually way better than it was received back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was considered a big bomb. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it it's was. kind of like an adventure story. Yeah. Uh, wacky characters. And and I like Bruce Willis in that role. Uh, but I'm watching this, and I'm like, I wouldn't have cast Bruce Willis in this if this was remade in the 90s. You cast Andrew Dice Clay in this, yeah, and you'd be fucking gold. Yeah, he would be gold in this. Andrew Dice Clay, mid 90s, gold, Treasure of the Four Crowns. Yeah, that would have been that would be that'd be wild. It'd make up for a uh, brain smasher. That well, piece of shit fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. So you you and then you have Ed O'Neill as Ed, and you basically <laughs> you know. Well, every single streaming service nowadays has the same actors in every single series. It's yeah. all the same people. You're like, oh, didn't I see that guy? Didn't? I? Meanwhile, there's you know thousands of actors, myself included, who are like, hey, could I be in something? Yeah. Um, so, but back in the day, like they didn't really do that. They didn't really reteam actors and put them in other movies, right? I would love to see Ed O'Neill and Andrew Dice Clay and Treasure of the Four Crowns remake. <laughs> 
<laughs> do oh my a God. booty time. I think we're on something. Let's, yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. Cut to the next scene, and it's a it's a <clears throat> and it's a town covered in snow, like a blizzard just blew through there. I love this. Four, this is cool. It's almost like they're in too. Switzerland, but I'm assuming it's in a Spanish mountain. Because if you go on IMDb. Everything was filmed in Spain somewhere, so I assume that. But when I first watched it for the first time, I was like, oh, is this like the Swiss Alps or something like that, you know? But it's cool. Yeah, I, it's a great location. The, the the You know, clearly it's it's not what American viewers are used to when they see another country, right? But every single set in so many, like, spaghetti westerns back in the day were beautiful. And the original Django. Yeah. The town that they shoot it in it looks so cold and gross in the middle of winter and mud and like, but it's so aesthetically beautiful. This is that same vibe where you're like, I want to know what's going on in this town. I want to know mm-hmm. all the characters, but you don't because you're about to skip a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the This vehicle, four-wheel drive vehicle pulls into the town, stops in front of a hotel bar. Two men get out of the bar and they go in. It's JT and it's Ed walking into the bar. Uh, yeah, and it was like, first time I was watching, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> did, okay. did I miss something? <laughs> yeah. They spent, you know, they're like, oh, look, first 20 minutes, or first 20 minutes will be amazing. We don't need, uh, people will understand. JT just goes along for it. He will go along for it. In the bar, JT approaches the bartender and says, would you happen to know a guy named Rick Martin? As in Ricky Martin? <laughs> I didn't even pick Waitress up on that. Waitress goes, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's living in La Vida Loca. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 wait, the, the bartender says, yeah, he staggered out of here a couple hours ago. And Ed goes, did you say staggered? Terrific. Bartender tells where they can find Rick at his cabin. Ed is pissed looking at JT and he's like, you hear what she said? Staggered. You know what that means. It means a guy that can't walk. Cut to Ed and JT driving down a snow covered road. And JT's like, there's narrow, there's, they're talking to each other while they're in the car. And JT says, I'll worry about the planning. You make all the little gadgets. Let me take care of the team. Besides, we're not hiring this guy for the way he's walking. Ed goes, we're talking about staggering, staggering. <laughs> I mean, that's somewhere between stumbling and crawling. I like this. There's a lot of personality. It's total to, personality. To yeah, I, I like Ed a lot. Um, yeah, it's it's great. It's it's really like for a movie that might not have that normally. It's got a lot of personality in it. It, it does. It, I mean, that's what makes does. this movie watchable. Totally. For, for a you know a quote unquote bad movie. I mean, this is a bad movie um you know a c-level movie but it's very watchable uh and it's very charming yeah it's c-level as in water world diallo burr <laughs> <laughs> i don't like 90s cartoons so, side note Hashtag, guys and gals. i don't like 90s cartoons <laughs> side note diallo unabashedly loves uh, uh water world it's one of his favorite movies hey i'm I, no hate on that because I love a lot of bad movies that most people, uh, you know, consider bad. So I, I, I get it. But Waterworld was never one of mine. But that's definitely Diallo's. This, this movie's an hour less than Waterworld. <clears throat> True. Uh, so the SUV, I like Waterworld. I think it's fine. I haven't seen it since the theater, so I'm yeah. not hating on it. I'm just goofing. I'm just goofing. You, you mean um, Road Warrior on water? 
Yes. Yes. Hmm. It's it's all right. I tell you what, the Universal uh, Studios show is still amazing. Is it still around? <laughs> yeah, I just went a couple months ago. That's wild. Yeah, it's. I know. I'm like, this is still the universe. Really? Wow, that just tells you how out of touch Universal Studio <laughs> is with so much. Sony's probably the worst with being out of touch and things. Universal's pretty close. Okay. Um. But I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. They pull up in front of a cabin, a desolate cabin with a bunch of park benches in front of it. Yep. 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 <laughs> I'm like. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> desolate cabin with uh, that clearly is equipped to house uh, twenty, thirty people because they got like they got like five or six uh, picnic benches there. Yeah, it's, tables, it's a, picnic tables. Yeah, it's a good thing. Uh, the establishing shot of this is only twenty five seconds long. You know, yeah, it's, it's short. It's yeah. Quick, and I, quick. I just stretched it out for five, so <laughs> five minutes. Um, they walk into the cabin. They see a guy passed out in a chair by a fire. It's Rick. JT walks up to him, picks up a bottle that's in his lap. It's almost empty of vodka. Five. Now, he's he's wearing a brown lacrosse uh, shirt or sweatshirt. And I was like, okay, is that like Brown College or something, which is like a Rhode Island college? I just – I was just curious. But, I mean, it, it doesn't matter whatsoever. I'm just interjecting some something that I noticed. Take, take it for whatever you want. <laughs> If this if this podcast was visual, we'd have the NBC "The More You Know" flash yeah, in front of us. Yeah. I I literally added nothing to the conversation right there. And then there'd be a shot of Bill Cosby <laughs> going, "If you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew, well, well Rick, you did Hollywood because you love to cover that stuff up." Well, Rick looks like he might have gotten Bill Cosby right here because he's passed out. He might out. have, yeah, right because he's passed out. And Ed's funny. He's like. Uh, I don't want to jump to any rash conclusions here, but and then, like, we shouldn't even be here, basically. JT kind of tries to wake him up, and Ed goes, uh, I'm a little dubious about putting my fate in this man's hands, which is understandable. <laughs> yes, yes. Ed is and, the voice of reason here. Right? And then Rick, finally, JT's like, Rick, come on, get up. And then Ed's, like, kind of chiming in the whole time. He's like, this guy's going to be a great help. And JT's like, don't do this to me. And then Ed continues, why don't we put him in charge? Why don't you put her in charge? (laughs) And then finally, Rick starts to wake up. And JT says, what the hell is going on here? I've been waiting for you at the bar, Rick. But he's still drunk. Rick is still drunk. Rick blows a raspberry. (laughs) And says, well, you see, I've been thinking. JT, I just can't do it. Just can't handle it anymore. Ed says, I'll buy that. JT says, what do you mean you can't handle it? You're the best I've ever seen. And if you could stay sober for three weeks, you can climb anything. Rick says, well, that's the problem. I haven't been able to stay sober for five years. JT pulls out a key and shows Rick and says, look at this. Rick doesn't respond. JT grabs him by the shirt. What is it? Rick goes, a platypus. <laughs> and then JT says, no, Rick, that's $100,000 and way out of this mess. If you could just stay sober for three weeks. Rick says, what do I have to do? Spell it out for you? It doesn't come in a bottle. I'm not interested. So the crutch here for his character, he's he's a drunkard, obviously. Yes. Um, And, you know, he so he keeps saying 
if you just stay sober for three weeks, you know, and that's that's what you're expecting his sort of character arc for Rick to be. But then later, you know, Rick, you know, obviously Rick's going to agree to go on this journey and everything. And then but he still drinks. And I was, you know, he still has like a hidden flask or something later. And I'm just like, like, as far as character arcs go, he doesn't have one. You know what I mean? Like I was I was hoping that he would be sober. And he's like, this is the longest I've been sober in five years. And I love life. And then gets, you know, harpooned by that spear that's going to come at him later. But like. I don't know. This is just a little bit of like the the writing isn't the strongest, which that's fine. That's come we're expecting that here, but it's just silly stuff like that where I'm just like I just kind of wish Rick maybe stayed sober. This was the last time he was drunk, but it, you know it's kind of not. I agree. I, I look. We're gonna have the same kind of com- problem. Com- com- problem. It's a complaint and a problem um, with uh, Liz and uh, Socrates, like their relationship, because it's not totally defined yeah. really well. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of loose ends here. So it's more just like what this scene sets up, what this scene is about to reveal yeah. oh, is yeah. the most important part, because while Rick, uh, while while Ed kind of grabs JT, he's like, what the hell's going on here? We can't hire this guy. Um uh, they're they're off to the side. The key that JT showed him is on the table. Suddenly, the key starts glowing, and Rick sees the key glowing, and he's freaking out. Understandably, he's like shaking his head, like, "Am I sober? Am I not sober?" He's like, "Guys, guys." Yeah, he, goes, he goes, "Nothing serious. Uh, it's just the DTs." <laughs> the and DTs. You cut the. G- <laughs> you cut the d- These are, some of the some of the lines are great. Actually, the lines are great. It's just the the you know the depth in yes. which we get yes. with some of these guys. Yes. Uh, and then suddenly Ed like shakes his head and he goes, "That's it for me, man. That is it for me." Suddenly, there's a rumbling sound while the the key is glowing. And Rick's wall, which he has like uh, silverware on the wall and pots and pans, everything starts shaking. Everything, everything's rattling all around him. Suddenly, the key flies off the table, floating in the air. Rick looks like he's gonna throw up. JT looks unamused, and the key, like he's, he kind of doesn't look surprised at all. The key travels throughout the cabin. Rick crawls over to his bottle of vodka. Uh, the key travels over to like the the toilet that's in the the cabin and the water starts spilling out of it everywhere the key goes it causes chaos and like explosions and yep. things Flame boil coming over. out of the ovens spices being knocked off yeah. all that stuff the and suddenly JT says it's trying to escape and he runs over because the key travels over to the stove in the cabin and starts to go up the exhaust tube he runs to the exhaust tube and turns the knob to kind of like seal the tube, trapping the key in the tube. And the whole thing's rattling around. He's He like opens up the exhaust tube and the key shoots out towards the door, letting off a little explosion uh, by the door. Ed is JT, just standing against the wall, just looking. Ed's freaking out. <laughs> JT looking at finally, everything. <laughs> yeah, looking at everything. Yeah, I do love how Rick, I love his face when the lantern in front of him kind of explodes. And he's like, whoa! <laughs> it's, it's wild, yeah, man. It's classic Italian cinema where it's like slow-mo shots and like yeah. long shots of people's faces. Uh, JT finally catches the key before it goes out the door, like Jerry Rice in the Super Bowl. And then uh, the window behind him 
explodes and this is yes. my fate one of my favorite shots in the entire movie Same. so yeah jt grabs it in both hands and as he's like sort of looking at the camera the window behind him explodes with like glass and snow and fake snow and everything and it's slow motion and his hair's flying forward it is like in a movie that's you know again a c-level movie it is an a plus shot and it is fantastic absolutely agree and after he catches the key Things finally settle down. But you get a preview of what JT's going to have to go through later on in the movie with these this stuff. Right. Well, in one time, he, he's going to have to go through it, but he wouldn't have to go through it because if he didn't take the key out of his pocket, it wouldn't all happen. But we'll get hey, to that when we get there. He's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> he is. He kind he's of is. He's an idiot. Yeah. Cut to it. Cut to a beautiful shot of uh, Spain. The camera pans over to a domed building with a sign in front of it that says Los Muchachos. Cut to the interior of that building, and there's a circus practice taking place. A strongman is beating down a police car as JT walks into the circus. The strongman has blue makeup on his face. Kind of looks like a superhero. Yeah, that's cool. And he's like doing it. a bit with the policeman, police with the police car, grabbing the policeman. Looks like a weird blue man. monster. <laughs> grabbing the policeman. Policeman. Uh, he fights them off. There's, there's, they're like all play fighting. There's a ballerina there. There's a clown yelling at him. Uh, and the ballerina, uh, is, is, co- is going over to the blue, the blue man. And the, yeah. And the clown yells at him. He's like, all right, come on, Socrates, get her up. And Socrates tries to pick up the ballerina, but he's struggling to pick her up. He looks all jacked up. Yeah. With muscles, but that's all padding. Suddenly, he picks up the ballerina to do a balancing routine with her. Is that ballerina uh, Liv? I, I think it is, actually. It's hard to tell. Or is it uh, Liz or Liv? Liz. Liz. Liz, yeah. Okay. I thought, yeah, because I thought maybe that, that was Liz, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Socrates looks exhausted, holding his back. The director calls out. He's like, well, this stinks, but maybe it'll work. Yeah, and Socrates and, and yeah. Socrates looks, you know, kind of like disappointed, but also like worn out because he's getting older and all this kind of stuff, but also kind of, you know, disheartened by, you know, the director's words or, you know, whatever. Um and he he is the best actor in the movie for sure. Well, yeah, ab- absolutely. You cut to him in his dressing room wearing a muscle outfit with his blue makeup on and has a bad wig on his head. It's actually like an apartment building. Yeah. Uh, and the clown is behind him. JT appears out of nowhere. Socrates and looks at Socrates turns and looks at JT and says, before you start, the answer is no. I've gotten too old and too smart. JT sits down next to Socrates and he said, JT said, uh, Socrates says, how'd you find me? JT says, you got a real first class act, Socrates. I just follow the crowds. And then Socrates looks at the clown who's like making uh, – he's just like hanging out behind him. And he goes, do you mind, Popo? Popo leaves. And Popo's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. JT oh, starts uh, – <laughs> My second favorite character in the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Socrates starts removing his costume and his hair, his makeup. Zach, how can you – I can't. I've never – Ever since Bill and Ted, I can't fucking say the word Socrates without saying Socrates. How have we not said Socrates once? We're not idiots. <laughs> <laughs> fucking t- 
Touche. <laughs> Too fucking Shay. Moving on. <laughs> Socrates is, uh, JT's like, how you doing, buddy? And Socrates is like, how does it look like I'm doing? And JT says, and Liz? And Socrates says, fine. Now cut the small talk. You found me. Why? JT says, I got a job. There's a lot of money in it. Socrates thinks about it for a moment. He goes, what do you call a lot? JT says, 100000 for you and 100000 for Liz. Cue the music. The music, this yeah. is where the music starts yeah. crescendoing, mm-hmm. right? Socrates pauses for a moment, smiles and says, so, talk. Cut to Liz on an acrobat high wire doing a high wire act with uh, with another acrobat. She's amazing. If this is her, she's amazing doing this routine. It's a really kick-ass routine. Yeah, I think it is her because she's going to have to utilize all this stuff later, and you can tell that they're not using a stunt double. And I just wanted to call out the scene where where JT and Socrates are talking. Yeah, I, he, you know, he's taking off his mat, his his you know hat. He's taking off his costume and everything. And I like the fact that you see him bald, like you see he's bald, and then later he's got his toupee on or whatever. And I like the fact that like we get it. The it's the you know the character and the actor both you know, are both bald, both wear a toupee. And we, I, that was the one thing I didn't need. I didn't need us to explain why he has hair later. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, okay, that's his, that's his going out toupee. Now, you know, right now he's sitting there vulnerable talking to, you know, JT and everything, taking off his, his makeup and whatnot. And I like that. I like that. We see that the actor and the character are both bald. And then we see them later with the toupee. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's human moments Yes. You yes. know that these guys, help, they all have a history together. They go way back together. Uh, this film screams of like a, a, a like a great, a prequel could have been made, you know, down With them the road. all together, yeah. Yeah, this, this easily, by the way, and I'm, I'm totally serious, this easily could be remade, an American film, television yeah. series, whatever, now, and people would eat it up. It would be so fantastic. All it needs is some fine tuning with its story development, but the skeleton that exists that makes this movie like the store, like the, the skeleton of this film is really, really good. I think, I think, and I think these actors really try hard. I don't think they're, I don't think any of these people are bad actors at all. It's just the setups are so preposterous and weird. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, they're doing their best for sure. I, I got no, beef with any of them whatsoever it's yeah. it's it's a canon movie it's it's, it's canon movie guys you know what you're getting here and this is the most canony movie movie that we've ever done so totally far, so yeah so she uh after she does a routine liz drops down onto the trampoline net goes over and gives jt a big old hug you kind of get the sense that they had like a romantic thing going on perhaps i get the sense that liz is socrates daughter but it's not defined they never call it out oh i 100 percent just yeah thought that was his daughter but they don't call it out I'm like, yeah yeah but you didn't call it out <laughs> i know but you shouldn't but you didn't call it okay just, just <laughs> calm down calm down um so she she asked what are you here for business or pleasure and socrates who's wearing like a, a like a, those like those old school kind of uh what do you call them? Reporter hats kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Paper boy hats, you know? Yeah. I yeah. I forget. There's a term for it, but, but he's like kind like of. Like a fedora type? No, fedora. Really, no, yes. no. Like a, 
like the you know get your papers here that kind of yeah. thing anyways socrates is like business and then liz goes well he talking about socrates doesn't go anywhere without me socrates says to liz i told him we listen and if we didn't like it we walk cut back to socrates's apartment with popo he's making some tea and some cookies and socrates is packing up his gear socrates says to popo i'll be back in three weeks popo says hmm i'm sure you will popo says you know always said jt meant trouble and socrates says yeah well this time he means money a lot of money popo says you can't do that kind of work anymore socrates says i'm as strong as ever popo says except for your heart it's important to point that out by the way socrates gets up walks out and stops i ain't kidding myself i'm lucky if i got six months but liz she has the rest of her life i gotta do it for her popo says she has the right to know socrates says tell her as soon as we get back popo says i'll hold you to that Socrates walks out. Popo just shakes his head. Dude, my favorite scene scene in the fucking movie. It has so much heart. It has so much humanity. Um, Two great actors. You know, Tony Anthony, not in the scene. That's why it's probably the best scene in the movie. But, like, I was, like, honestly, I was world-building in my head. I was, like... I think I think they're they're lovers, like old lovers and everything. And I'm fine with I Whoa. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And I loved Popo. I think he was like legitimately like concerned for either his his good friend or maybe his lover. It doesn't matter. I just I felt the connection and I felt the concern and I felt the love and in a movie that is a C minus film, you get this very human scene and Ian Popo is wearing like like clown makeup and he's like this 70 year old like thin looking old guy but and he's got like you know like seven credits under his belt and they're all like weird shit but like he is crushing it they're both crushing it in this scene and this scene's like 90 seconds long maybe two minutes long and it's it's chock full of heart and and humanity and love Yeah, totally. Look at you, world building, <laughs> dude. I love it. I I am here. I am shipping uh, so uh, Socrates and and Popo, and I'm I am a hundred percent here for it, man. Yeah, I love it. I love it, dude. Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim, and I'm Dean, and we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. 
We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Well, we've got JT, Ed, Rick, Socrates, and Liz at the professor's uh, office. At, uh, it looks like a college or museum or whatever. And it should be called out, like, um, Ed, I thought at the beginning, was going to be very much um, like sort of akin to in Raiders of the Lost Ark when there's those two like military guys are talking to you know Indy and, and whatnot. Um, one of them's played by William Hootkins, uh, who obviously we saw as Porkins in um, A New Hope. He was also Eckhart in Batman, um, but he was also in Hardware as well. Um, and it, I got. I thought Ed was going to be the William Hootkins of this movie, but he actually goes on the mission with them, which yes. I think is a better play than how it plays out in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what uh, I mean? I agree. And he goes on the mission because he has a special skill set, right. which JT alluded to, but you right. see it in play. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yep. cool. It, building the, 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 tra- the, the stuff. Yeah. The yeah. devices and things. Devices. Uh, they're all in the room together, and they're all in the professor's office, and there's a big structure in the middle of the room covered with a tarp. Professor's in the middle of telling them about Brother Jonas. Brother Jonas's small cult did not begin to flourish until he gained possession of the crowns. When so-called political harassment forced him to flee America, he bought the Hog Mountain in the Pyrenees. The mountain's massive cliffs make it invulnerable to those who wish to get on and hold captive those who wish to leave. The professor instructs Rick to take one side of the tarp that's covering the large structure, pulls it back with Rick to reveal a scale model of the Pyrenees Mountains. The only things on this mountain are the 700-year-old village, called by Jonas the City of Love and Unity, and the stone temple named the Temple of the Crowns. He removes the top in the middle of the, uh, what do you call it, model, yeah. there's, a, there's a temple, and he removes the top of the temple cover and pops up a shrine. Looks like two goats on top of a piece of wood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like um, the, the it's going to be a statue that is like, um, it's like a two-headed Baphomet-style uh, statue. Um, and I'll probably reference it again later, but just so you know, um, Baphomet is, is that, uh, you know, you always, you always, people will always kind of confuse that deity with Satan, you know, with the goat head and yes. the, the breasts and the, the goat legs and the, the human body. But no, that's not Satan because there is no actual Satan. Um, that's Baphomet. And, uh, you know, people, you know, worship her, that deity and stuff like that. But this is, I, I actually thought that uh, uh, later on the sculpture was quite impressive of oh, the two-headed creature baphomet style creature i totally agree i think it's super cool and i like this description that the professor gives too um 
he continues, he says, he's turned this place into, he's turned the place into sort of a shrine. Professor says, one crown points at the head of one of the, on the, on the points at one head on the statue. Cintia, Spanish for diamonds. It holds the power of evil, disease, famine, human despair. The other crown points at the other head. Adamus, Latin for diamond. The power of human goodness, a key to eternal happiness and peace. And Ed continues, And to protect them, he's turned the village and the temple into an armed fortress. While they're talking about all this, JT is like sitting in a chair playing with like this circus toy yeah. that is like a little monkey on a stick and it kind of, you bring it up to the top and it rattles down to the bottom. He looks totally uninterested, could care well, less. But except for a monkey, it's actually a little bird because he's oh, yeah, going to use that sorry. to illustrate something. Yeah, later. Sorry, bird. Yeah, not yeah, a monkey. Yeah, you know what, Zach? Get it <laughs> fucking right, man. A monkey or a bird? Jesus fucking Christ. Hey, <laughs> hey it's a monkey bird. It's a monkey bird. <laughs> fucking flying monkey bird. <laughs> flying monkey bird. And uh, Ed goes, you see these white lights? They represent the arm watchtowers. Those, and then light these lights pop on on the on the on the on the model, and then looks, green lights looks pop great. on. I like that. Very cool. Ed goes. These green lights represent the checkpoints for roving bands of guards. Socrates asks, "How are we gonna get by that?" Professor says, "In two weeks, the Brotherhood will be in the last day of its annual baptismal rituals for new converts." From sunrise to sunset, they observe this night with celebrations and indoctrinations. That's your cover. Rick says, that still doesn't explain how we get past the guards. It's true. Like, what do we do? Camera pans over the scale model while Ed looks and says, a year ago, two of Brother Jonas's top organizers abandoned the cult. We got to them before his assassination squad. They sold us blueprints diagrams the works they even smuggled out a key to the castle's main entrance the temple doors are secured by two electronic locks which which can be activated by intricate series of sound impulses we've established that it's 180 feet long but gives the details of that right gives a whole like basically the whole rundown of how they're going to get in there and while ed is talking about that part of it, he he then goes on to talk about inside the corridor uh, where the where the crowns are. He says, 25 feet down the corridor is a floor-to-ceiling wall-to-wall iron grate. It has a gate, but the whole thing is electrified with enough juice to kill upon the slightest contact. Camera shows all sections of the model that Ed is discussing while he's describing this room, the, the room where the statue is. There's a giant iron gate illustrating it as well the professor continues and now the most challenging problem ed gives liz a feather and tells her to drop the feather into the temple and of course we get a a 3d shot of liz blowing the feather (laughs) she blows the feather into the temple when it hits the ground an alarm goes off ed continues to tap the model and the alarm continues to go on and off on and off the floors and all the walls are and Ed, Ed continues to describe the room. He says, The floor and walls are all embedded with countless hundreds of laser eyes. Break their beams, and you set off an alarm. So they got to go in above, like, got to basically go in to, the, they got to make their way into a very tight area where, they, where the alarms are not charged, 
climb up the wall, and then from the wall go to the ceiling, and from the ceiling make their way into the temple, uh, the statue. Yeah. We'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. And, you know, it's they fucking amazing. Make, they make great pains to show that a feather will set off, you know, the alarms. But, you know, when someone's cap falls off their head when oh. they die, oh, yeah. it, it doesn't set off any alarms. But that's what you get with a canon movie. That's what you get with a canon. <laughs> Whoa, did we write this movie, Ted? Wow, did Socrates Johnson just die? Wow. We certainly did, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ted. Yeah, Bill. We suck. Yeah, we totally do. <laughs> oh, man. I love Bill and Ted, but they kind of do suck. Um, yeah, it's okay. So it's, not, it's not my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. JT finally walks over with his little toy and says, and those are the problems that we have from midnight when the temple closes until dawn until when it reopens. That's when we have to do the job. Basically says that. And Liz says, so we got six hours. And JT says, yeah, but it might be less because we can't hit the temple until the ceremony's at its peak. So that could leave us just two or three hours. Socrates says, those laser beams, can they be taken out? JT says, yeah, once we hit the end of the corridor. Rick asks, are there any windows? And then JT says, yeah, in the cupola above the statue but they're protected by thick iron bars. Liz says, why don't we just cut out the bars and you lower me through one of the windows? JT says, we can't because the entire roof is pressure sensitive. These are all really good points, yeah. by the way. And yeah. I love, I think, I love set up heist movies. I yeah. love heist movies. Um, you know, Sneakers is a heist movie. Yeah, oh, you and I to, both talk about how much we love Sneakers. Love it. And, you know, the, the, they got to drop the, they got to raise the temperature in a room and he can only move a millimeter <laughs> yeah, of an dude. inch at a time. Like <laughs> shit that. like that. I yeah. love stuff like that. This takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, because the third act is literally going to be the Mission Impossible 1, the famous uh, ropes, you know, the this famous scene for Mission Impossible 1 where he goes into that room and can't touch the floor. Yes. They, they literally make the entire third act about that. And before you say that, oh, that that's boring, it's not. It's, it's actually not boring. really fucking cool. It's it's not boring, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, JT's like, we can't go through the, uh, through the roof. There's a laser eye system there that goes up through the whole corridor. And then Rick jokes and says... Maybe we should try and tackle a 7-Eleven first. Ed says, why don't we get serious, all right? And Rick says, all right, pal, let's get serious. The music starts to build. Rick has his moment, right? This is his monologue. This is his, goes, yeah, his moment. He goes, you got a tired old man, an inexperienced female. And Liz says, and you? What about you? Rick yeah. says, calm down, honey. I'm saving the best for last. He looks at Ed and he goes, you, Ed, a guy who thinks we can get ready for this job by playing with these tinker toys and me, a guy with 90 proof courage. And you want us to do this? Rick points at Ed and says, no, pal, I think you're the one who needs to get serious. Socrates says, every time I get involved with you, JT, it's problems. How the hell are we going to pull this off? Liz goes, he's right. We can't walk on the floor. We can't touch the walls. Think about that. Like, this is going to be... 
Corey, you nailed it. It is that opening scene to uh, Mission Impossible, which mm-hmm. I love, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, explains to me that maybe Brian De Palma, yet again, took something else that he saw and made something with it. Did Brian De Palma do the first Mission Impossible He did. Movie? He did the first Mission Impossible. No shit. I think shit. that's why it's so good. I never – yeah, I – my God. I mean, that's a franchise that's been so long in the tooth now – I haven't seen the original, the first movie in maybe since the fucking theater, dude. Me too. I think I bought it when it came out on VHS, but maybe I didn't. Maybe I bought it. Wow. Yeah. 1990, it came out in fucking 1996? Good fucking God. Yeah, you're right. Brian De Palma. Holy shit, man. Yep. That's wow. maybe the la- one of the last good movies he's made. Wow, ever. dude. Fucking they, wow. Yeah. Uh, and then it started this whole chain reaction of like, who's going to direct the next one? Because it was, you know, they got all these high profile directors, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then what, yeah. what did JJ Abrams do? Number three? Or... I think so. One of he did one of them. Cause right? John Woo did two or did John Woo did three? I think John Woo did number. I don't know. Actually. Yeah. I don't know. But I know they had like, yeah, kind of big time directors and then. Yeah. It's so now funny. It's... Cause the, the franchise has been going on so long now that I don't even think of those earlier movies as like a part of the same franchise right. but i well, mean people, technically pe- it is people love to shit on fast and furious for having so many movies but yet it, mission impossible kind of did the same thing yeah yeah no i'm and i'm not gonna lie to you man i, I like the mission impossible movies but i'm so and i like fast and furious movies too but i'm so franchise fatigued now that i'm just i'm i'm fatigued on every franchise I just want an original movie now. I just want a fucking, like a standalone, good, original film. I got you right here with Treasure of the Four Crowns. <laughs> it's it's original. It's, it is. It's for sure. So, yeah. So, they're all, at this point now, after Rick brings all this, all these good points up, he's basically like, how the hell are we going to pull this off? And JT, who has a circus toy, takes it and puts it in the center of the model. And, and shows them, he puts the little bird at the top, at the top and it kind of click clacks down the wire. And he says, we fly. Everybody looks at each other mysteriously. And JT holds up the key to the four crowns and says, and with this, those crowns are ours. Suddenly there's a weird rumbling sound. And here we go again. <laughs> JT's hand starts to shake. And he even says, oh, brother, here we go again clasp his hands everyone backs away from the jt and the key jt's hands are wet and they're yeah, shaking I, and yeah that's my note I, like <laughs> why is jt's hands like soaking wet and why did you take the fucking key out of your fucking pocket all of this wouldn't happen okay okay here we go what <laughs> happens zach what happens because show of jt's tomfoolery so he, he his hands start shaking. Uh, <laughs> a, a weird goat a weird goat head statue pops yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, this is this is the goat head statue. This is like the Baphomet statue that has like a red eye shoots yes. out and, and it but it happens like twenty times and it's the same shot over and over again. And we even see the same shot later in the, the climax scene as well. It's like they loved this eyeball gem coming out of this this goat head statue yeah they sure do 
Uh, and he almost kills everybody because Rick yes. staggers back, <laughs> falls to the ground. Socrates grabs his heart, starts to panic like he's having a heart attack. Yeah, Liz uh, just screams. She's just Liz screams. like slow motion, like going ah, as like hey, or like wind is blowing her fucking hat off and shit. Yeah. Like like there's no context to what she's <laughs> screaming at, no. but it's it's very much akin. To the mom and poltergeist, like you know, ha- like having the ghost oh, totally. screaming at her face, you know, yeah. and just like, I mean, this <laughs> this is a wild the, scene, man. The it's professor almost scene. chokes to death. The <laughs> professor grabs his throat. Uh, you see the Rick weird... grabs his head. He's like, he's like my brain <laughs> as he falls down. <laughs> yeah, you see the eyeballs of the statue pop out again, multiple times. Finally. Things start to calm down. There's a weird tunnel light with like a red dot like uh, on the screen and the model of the temple grounds is shaking and then everything goes back to normal. Everybody starts to recover. JT looks at everybody looking scared. And Liz says, what happened? And JT says, it was nothing. Unless <laughs> you believe, you, <laughs> unless you believe, believe in ghosts. But like, dude, end of scene. <laughs> fucking Ed almost died. Like he fell over. I thought I thought he was gonna die right there. And when they all get up, they're all touching the sweat on their heads. Like it was an ordeal for all of them. And guess what? It wouldn't have been if JT didn't pull it out of his fucking pocket. Fucking JT, man. God damn it. Fucking JT. Cut to a panning shot of the countryside with menacing music playing. And the camera pans the countryside, and we lock in on Jonas's compound. He and his followers are exiting the castle. He's covered in cowbells, uh, <laughs> cut, which is weird. Would you like some more cowbells with your cowbells? <laughs> babies, babies, babies. I need. I gotta need that. I gotta need that cowbell. I gotta need more cowbell. Uh, that that seems as famous, but but his costume design is fan fucking tastic. Oh, I agree. Like, I think this whole gimmick, this whole cult mm-hmm. looks really creepy. And all of his, like, closer acolytes that actually wear the costumes and stuff, yep. um, I think look really fucking cool. I like their weird pig upper. It's like it's cut off at their mouth. So, like, it's like their nose up have these, like, cool, like, weird pig face thingies or whatever. Well, they and look it, like they look like uh, one of the guys in uh, The Golden Child. But yeah, actually, that's what the mask looks like. Yeah, the, the the guy that's kind of like the monkey, supposed to be the monkey guy, you know, because there's like that Chinese aspect to it and their whole monkey god thing. Yeah, that guy, the uh, man, the golden child. That was a movie I watched a lot as a kid. It doesn't um, hold up. It, uh, it's not that great. It really isn't. I, I don't. I watched it in the last like I think eight years or something, and I was like, oh. No, this one, but I, but as a kid, I watched that more than like Beverly Hills Cop because I, I liked it, you know? Well, I will tell you right now, one thing it does have going for it is the opening song of the movie went with Eddie Murphy driving around in his car. It's called The Best Man in the World by Ann Wilson. She's from Heart. Okay. It is one of the best and, in my opinion, most underrated rock songs from a movie ever. It's a great workout song. Put that on your Spotify. I am a massive, massive heart fan. Uh, me personally, I tend to gravitate towards uh, female vocals. I don't know if I just like the vibration better or whatever. Um, <laughs> but heart, heart is so fucking good. Even as put a kid, I love Put on best man in the them. world, dude. Huh? You're gonna, you're, put on, put on best man in the world. You're okay. gonna pop your O face. Oh, it's great. 
Okay, great. I I will. I'll definitely do that. I fucking you love that. You're gonna. That's you're gonna. That, you're gonna. You're gonna be so excited about that. I know it. Um. As Jonah walks with his people, he enters his, uh, he enters his temple with all of his followers, and I believe these are like his his uh like new followers uh, that he's picking up. Yeah. Initiates, yes. He's got a triangle weird thing on his forehead, like a bindi. And as he walks by uh, his followers, he's touching the several of the women's faces and smiling at and smiling at them. Cut the JT and his crew climbing up the mountain leading to the compound. Jonas's guards on the exterior of the castle watching the grounds with weapons. They kind of look like ninjas. There's one dude that looks like a ninja. Uh, looking over the ledge of the castle, he doesn't see anything. He walks away, and that's at that point, JT and his crew are right below where the ninja dude was. Uh, they make it onto the grounds of the compound, which kind of looks like, like a city villa. Yeah. Uh, there's many different shots as they make their way through. That, uh, and it, the continuity is really off here because at one point they're like on the outside of the castle, then they're on the inside of the castle, they're on the outside of the castle, inside of the castle. Like it goes back and forth throughout this sequence. Yeah. But during the sequence, Ed is struggling. He's like, my lungs, my lungs aren't working. <laughs> JT's like, come on, man. We're having a good time. They take a break to kind of slow down. At one point, there's a guard like literally right by them smoking a cigarette, walks away from where they are, and they pop back onto the compound grounds again. <laughs> You're like, wait, weren't they already there? And uh, they get to a door, which is like the front door of the castle. And Ed uses a, a lock pick to get into the gate door. They make their way in. They make their way inside the castle. JT following up the rear with his white pants and his black jacket now closes the door behind them, uh, which is a really cool looking door. This must be the key that the, the, the people who escaped the compound gave Ed. Uh, but the, the door is very cool. It's like this big, almost concrete slab with spikes all over. It's very intimidating looking cut to Jonas speaking to his cult, holding a goblet while he says, my children, you are blessed. For you have entered into the kingdom of heaven. For my light is the divine light. For my way is the divine way. For my power is the divine power. For my life is the divine life. Believe in me and you will live in eternal bliss. Stray and you will perish in the flames of hell. And he throws the goblet down much to the shock of his followers. And he's Cut back to, uh, that guy's putting in work. He's good. He's, he's good. Yeah, he's he deserves to be in a different movie, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> but he's doing uh, good, man. He's doing I'm telling great you, man, shit. It, you know, it's it's like um it's like a Cornish game hen, you know, like it, there's not a lot of meat on it. Yeah. And some of the meat is like not very good. It's dry. But there is like a one or two little pieces of meat on there that yeah, are pretty good. Yeah. And at the end you're like Okay, I'm satisfied enough. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that's it's a terrible it, analogy, but yeah, you know what the fuck? Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know either. You cut back and forth between cut. Be, uh, you cut back and forth between JT and his crew sneaking their way through the castle. They make their way down a hallway, and when they get to the hall end of the hallway, there's a door there. Jed. 
Jed. JT. Jed. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Jed? What's up, Jed? What's up, Jud? Uh, JT says to Ed, you know, we got to hurry. We got to hurry. We only got four minutes until those guards pass again. You realize at this point they are at the door, the entrance to the temple room with the crowns inside. Yeah. And, and then and I like what Ed has to do here. He's got this like decoding device. Well, it's a vibration. It's like a vibration decoding device. Yeah, because yeah, I guess it, it it replaces a key. I mean, the thing is, it's like it's got microchips on yeah. it too. In 1983, yeah, you know, it's, very it's, it's very high tech. It's it's very high tech. Very high tech. And I like. I think it's cool. And they do. You know, they of course do the obligatory. 3d shot of like him coming at the camera when he wants to put it into the slot and everything but overall i liked the concept of this i like the idea that he had to like and then like he has to wait for the device to tell him i guess when it gets the right frequency to to turn the tumblers over you know so like he can't really miss it there either like i liked all the like it wasn't autumn it didn't seem like it was automated and i liked i thought that was kind of cool you know because it seemed like he had to actually hit a button at like the right time type of thing you know i thought this was cool i thought this was really really neat it is cool it is cool one thing i'll point out is it's loud as hell yeah and i'm like no one else heard that <laughs> it would they should not have used the sound effects they should yeah. just use the lights on it would have been yeah. much more effective um but while he's doing his little ding dong device with his microchips jt reminds everyone that once inside there's only 18 inches of safe space around yeah. the perimeter of the room it's kind of taken ed a while and jt's like ed if you don't pick it up we're gonna get caught and then ed doesn't respond he's like ed you hear me come on and ed's like Will you stop telling me that? It makes me nervous. <laughs> Ed finishes decoding, unlocks both doors. JT asks Ed if it worked. Ed simply just pushes the doors open. I like JT, that. Yeah, it's funny. JT, JT grabs Ed and says, you're a genius. He looks like he's going to throw up, and Ed goes, yeah. They make their way into the room and the, that houses the two crowns, uh, and there's a statue and they see the statue. Yeah, so it's like a long horse, like, or vertical. Like, it, it's like a football stadium. Like, it goes yes. outwards, and they're on one end. Um, there is, like, a, a gate in the middle-ish that they're going to have to sort of go through. Um, and then the statues are on the other side. Also, too, we are at, entering into our last scene, even though this scene takes up, like, 30 minutes of the movie. It is technically our last scene, and, like, I'm looking at I'm, – I'm just counting because I do, like, I – you know, when I run uh, – when I, when I run shotgun, I don't uh, type up my notes, you know, when I'm, like, when I'm breaking down. I just do it on a yeah. piece of paper, and I draw, I draw a line whenever there's a scene break. And I can tell you right now that we're on, like, our eighth scene. Like, this movie has only, like, eight or nine scenes, and that's it. You know, and this one takes up like 30 minutes of the movie. It does, because I still have like 10 pages to go. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. There's there's still a lot left, but it's just this is where we're going to live for the rest of the movie, essentially. Yeah, I'm totally OK with that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, when they make their way in, they see 
you know, the, the, the camera kind of pans over the whole room like you described, and there's a series of invisible laser beams. Um, Ed holds, and we know this because Ed holds up like a, like a, it looks like a piece of undeveloped film and pans over the room with it. It's, it, you know, like a... You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that piece of red plastic film that you would get with transformer toys oh that yeah you could totally. put ov- over the back and to see their stats remember that little yeah scribbly image and then you would put that film thing that red film thing over the image which is really just the the red part of a red and blue 3d glasses yeah and then you could see on the back of the transformer packaging what their stats were you know yeah totally um, and it reminded me of that and but then the shot of the 3D, you know, the the lasers and everything as he's looking, that looked great in 3D because I went back and I, I put my 3D glasses on to watch that. I thought that looked really fucking good, you know? It's more than meets the eye. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> and also, I'm like, this is better than Resident Evil with the lasers. Settle down there, buddy. Settle down. <laughs> that's a shitty franchise right there Uh, you know i love it (laughs) i know you do you and terry my boy terry um okay so i've never seen a single one of those movies sober baby (laughs) Uh, yeah that's that's why you love it if you did you might have a change of heart Um, yeah zach's like i've seen them all sober (laughs) sober and i need to be in i need something to get me through it yeah so as as they as they show the laser beams rick says this place is really blanketed with laser beams. We don't even have room to take a deep breath. JT says, yeah, but does everything check out with the diagrams? And Ed says, no. And JT says, what do you mean? Ed says, we only have about a foot of clearance between the beams and the, and the grill work. After that, the pressure-sensitive floor. And then JT says, oh, Ed, that's a problem. JT opens a bag and pulls a bunch of climbing gear out and gives it to everybody. They have to hand it to each other one by one because they're in a straight line on the perimeter of the room. I think this is, I love this stuff. I just, I love this. And they have to slowly put their climbing gear on. And remember, they can't stray too far. Otherwise, they'll get zapped or set off the alarms. Rick helps Ed with his climbing gear and goes to put his gloves on. And Rick asks, you need help with those? (laughs) And Ed just smiles and chuckles to himself. It's like, oh, okay, they're starting to get along now. I appreciate that. You know, and, and like at an hour and 40 minutes, I wish there was time for one bonding scene before they went on this mission. Just I wish I there was too. time for one. Let's go grab drinks the night before type of thing. But, you know, whatever. OK, it's it doesn't neither here nor there. Yeah, that would have been cool. I agree with you. Um, JT asks how much time they got. Ed says they got two hours and 55 minutes till dawn. JT looks at the group and says, everybody got that? JT points his like a grappling gun up at the sky and gives Ed the rope to hold on to because uh, there's a rope connected to the grappling gun. He shoots the grappling hook up to a series of beams, these big, thick wooden beams. They cinch in the rope as it kind of latches onto the main beam. Rick cinches in the climbing rope and he has Liz go up first, followed by Socrates. One by one, they're pulled one person goes up while the other person's kind of pulling them up the rope. When she gets up to the top of the room, she's st- standing on top of a huge, wide, large beam that's that's kind of uh, goes all the way from one side of the room to the other. 
When she gets up there, she lowers a rope down to Rick, who hooks up Ed, who gets slowly pulled up, looking nervous the whole time. He's like the comic relief, clearly. Cut back to Jonas in the temple with his followers. He pulls back a sheet on a bed to reveal a sickly-looking woman who's shaking her hands like, you know, like she's got uh, some sort of debilitating disease, right? She goes from leprosy to cerebral palsy to mentally disabled you know she 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 got sores all over her body on her feet everything and 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 it's and it's terrible acting but i like where it goes when there is a reveal to it me too because there's a reason why it's terrible exactly it's like oh okay got it cut back to jt making his way up the rope he goes last camera pans a shot over the entire room to get a sense of how much ground they have to cover in the span of two hours each of them has a series of climbing pieces socrates looks nervous they all get ready for the next stage of the room and jt says now remember our workspace above the alarms is less than 10 feet so that's important to note that they have they have very limited amount of wiggle room to move around but yes. we'll talk about the hat later yes okay so Socrates and JT uh, have Liz. Okay, this is a really interesting moment. So they've got Socrates. They're all up on this top beam together. And Liz has this like clamping device that she uses to almost like clamp around the beam that stretches from one side of the room to the other. The support beam. Yeah. And she has to kind of use her trapeze skills to like put, she puts it in she has to bolt it in and then she has to swing to the next part upside like, down upside down and like JT has to help her and I'm watching this and like so you know I mean up till this point I'm 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 smoking for my first time funsies you know I'm like this movie's <laughs> fucking terrible it's is insane and then this scene comes and I'm just mesmerized. I'm just watching it without like I'm just completely into it because this movie and, you know, like this whole last part, like we're, we only have like 25 minutes left in the movie. Yeah. But like a, a solid like 40 percent of it is them accomplishing this task of moving just across the ceiling. And I love how the movie shows everything. It shows every step of the process, and it's like it's like if you took the Mission Impossible scene but made it twenty minutes long, make it the entire like third act of the movie, but also make it very interesting because you're watching real people do real shit. It's almost like watching the circus, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and you'll elaborate on on stuff and everything, but I was just just in awe of watching them build this this you know rope bridge across the ceiling of the room and a modern movie would have just oh boom 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 done and we're here get to the action and i'm like no show me every step because every step is fucking amazing and a feat of human strength it, i would watch i would recommend watching this movie just for this scene alone that's how impressed i was with this yeah this scene really 
makes you appreciate the effort that they put into this film. Because they show every effort that they put into making this this rope bridge thing. They show every yeah. bit of it. Like, it yeah. gets drawn out. I mean, it's like a 15-minute thing, but I don't... This is the one part I don't want to be trimmed. I want to see all of this. I totally agree. I totally agree because... And, and so this basic, is the part you remember, right? This is all the shit you remembered oh, as a kid. Yeah, this, this all flooded back to me in this moment because I was like, oh, this is what stood out to me. This is... This is I used this scene to world build with my action figures, you know? Yeah. And I did, I, I did for, for years, uh, reference this kind of subconsciously, not even remembering the movie, but this scene particularly. Um, yeah. So JT's following behind Liz as Liz is like hooking up these wedges along the way to create, like you said, this rope bridge. And then Socrates follows as well. And this whole process is super intense because you, you can't see where the laser beams are, but the characters know that there's that there's lasers not too far under them. So there's yeah. a lot of tension. Like they don't they don't want to touch the lasers, right? Suddenly the door to the temple opens and in walks a guard with a dog with him. About fifteen feet above him is where <laughs> uh the whole crew is silent. Yeah, so he looks around and he has like this scanner with him to kind of uh, infrareds like like uh, Ed had basically to see where the lasers are and everything checks out fine so he starts to leave and as he starts to leave Ed's carabiner starts to slip from his jacket making a clicking sound the guard stops and turns and looks in the room but does again like Corey said does not look up the crew's nervous and sweating but the guard turns and leaves and closes the door Rick then asks JT if that's going to happen all night and JT says if it does, we're in trouble. Yeah, we're screwed. They continue, right? JT's at the edge. JT makes his way to the edge of the, the fenced wall gate that separates uh, the, the room in half, basically, right? It's like halfway in. Yeah. Um, Rick and Ed slowly lower JT upside down, and the rope shakes for a moment, and JT says, you know, if I touch the grill, I'm fried, right? They continue to lower JT to the bottom of the room. They lower him, and there looks like a panel to open the fence door. And uh, on on the on the the the, the, the fence uh, cage or whatever it is, right? He puts a weird contraption on that looks like a like it's magnetized to it, and he has like a stethoscope ears that are connected to the device clicks a switch and unlocks the door for the crown vault cut to a guard walking with a doberman pincher the dog the dog looks at the door of the crown room quick cut to liz being lowered down the ropes to the gate door so they're on the other side of this gate right liz is lowered on top of jt so she can like they, they she's on top of jt so she can like hop into the room yeah she kind of so they have to uh, essentially they have to get down from the ceiling under that door you know and the it's cage like a, door. It's a cage door so you can see yeah. through it but jt goes down so he's flat she comes down so that he can kind of hold her to slide her over, but he'd already shot another i think rope straight up so that she can get under and up and again 
they, they show us everything. They're showing us everything. Yeah. So even if Zach and I can't describe it, this is like one of the movies where like if you watch it, they show you every step. You uh, the holes in this movie do not apply to this scene here because I think we could Zach, you and I could watch this movie and then recreate this. Like that's how much detail if, if you know, if our bodies could actually do it. But that's how much detail they show us like they show us everything and I yeah. love it. I love it. Yeah. So yeah, because well, if, if you, if you sign up for our Patreon, we'll recreate this. Scene. <laughs> um, we'll go to recreate pa- this together. <laughs> Patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. Seriously, you should check it out. It's totally worth it. Um, but yeah, so basically what they got to do is they got to get through this cage and start the whole process over again on the other side of the Everyone beam. has to. Everyone yeah. does. Everyone has to get under it and then back up again, essentially. Yeah. And as they do, every, uh, JT is helping people go through. Ed goes through, uh, followed by Rick. And then Socrates is last. Socrates starts to drop like the rope starts to get like uh, uh, faulty or mess up and causes JT to uh, fall, like almost touching the ground. And Socrates grabs JT before he touches the ground and gets electrocuted because JT always goes last because, you know, he's like he's the leader uh, of the crew. And I appreciate that. that He he goes last to make sure everyone is, is safe. Yeah, and I like how Socrates kind of grabs him like by the feet and everything. That yeah. that was intense. That was intense. Yeah, it's super intense. Cut back to Jonas with his cult. He has some sort of box that he opens and brings it over to the woman who's struggling on the bed, shaking. And he sprinkles something on top of her and says, "This is a stray lamb. She has left the flock, so she has, so she was stricken with disease. She repents her sins and wants to come home to me." With divine powers vested in me, through the crowns, I will destroy the pain and allow her to return to the fold. Suddenly, followers with masks walk by the uh, walk by the the newly indoctrinated people sitting down and have scissors, and they're clipping off hair of, from the women in in the crowd and putting it in a big bowl. Jonas takes a flaming candle, points at the camera with the candle. Of course of course, and sets the hair on fire into a big ball. The followers don't even, the followers don't even flinch. They don't even emote. They just look as he continues talking. My divine strength will heal this sick creature, but you must help me. You must believe in me, children. Cut back to Liz in the temple room, giving a thumbs up as she's made her way across the beam again. Ed's next in line to make his way down. When I say beam, I'm talking about the wooden beam. Yes. And he zip lines over to Liz and they're like, they're on the other side of the room, right below the statue. Rick goes next, zip lining down. JT turns back to look at Socrates and asks if he's okay. Socrates is struggling and says, it's nothing. It's nothing. JT turns back to look at Socrates and asks if he's okay. Socrates says, clearly struggling. He says, it's nothing. It's fine. JT looks at Ed, asks if he's okay. And Ed smiles and says, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm sure. JT continues down the zip line, basically checking on everybody. When they make their way across the beam, Ed almost falls off his rope and starts panicking while Rick tries to pull him back up. It's like, pull me up, man. Pull me up. (laughs) Right. As Ed's struggling and Rick is trying to help him, Socrates takes a pill out and is popping a pill. 
and he gets ready to kind of zip line across this room. When they get across the room, they're now like on, on a beam on the side of the room. So they're, they're in the far wall of the room closest to the statue, but they're on a beam that's kind of on the corner, right? And there's a box there. And Ed is using a series of like uh, microchips and wires inside it to set this box to uh, like to 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 re it's the alarm for the room, right? And he's putting the this device inside the box to basically disarm the alarm in the room, right? Yeah. And Liz asks, "How much time do we have?" And JT says, "It's late." And JT says, move it, Ed. It's now or never. And Ed's like kind of panicking as he's trying to uh, undo the alarm in this in the in the room. Cut back to Jonas, who now has a dagger in his hand and points the dagger directly at the camera. 3D. And shows the woman shows the woman he's placing the dagger on her face for her head. She's shaking while Jonas takes the blade away. It's hot. It's it's burning. He places it on her forehead. When he takes it away, he's burned like an X into her forehead. Was was that a part of the gimmick? <laughs> I guess I'm like, oh wow, she's really going full method because she finally <laughs> she's shaking, convulsing, and then suddenly she sh- suddenly she stops shaking. After he does that, she smiles at him. He smiles back at her and kind of like winks at her. Yeah, she, I think she actually winks at him first. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, you're fucking... This is a which, gimmick. It's a gimmick, which is great because, you know, it was so bad, but it was on purpose. And then she even, like, kind of picks off one of the scabs because it's just makeup. But yeah. then the question... I mean, this is... This is this is the canon thing. This is all this is canon. So like, okay, we get it. It was a joke, and then you and then you sit for one second. And you think, well, but then he burned this the X into her forehead. So was that real? You know what I mean? It's just like there's right? always something. It's never it's never tight. It's never fully tight. You know? No, I mean it's all good. He just she just has a permanent scar on her forehead, like all of Charlie Manson's followers. Yeah, yeah there you go. There you go. And, uh, yeah, she smiles at him. He smiles back at her. She tries to sit up and, and she says, help me, help me, relieve me from sin. Don't let me perish. Jonas looks at her and looks at his followers and screams, heal this lamb, take away her pain. The people sitting down are still watching. Suddenly the, uh, cult followers with the pig masks are shaking rattlers and tambourines and, Everyone on the ground is looking terrified because they're shaking the tambourines. Quick cut to the exterior of the compound. No one's around. And then you cut back to JT and his crew. Camera pans up the statue of the two-headed goat-looking thing, which has two crowns on top of it. And there's like seven boa constrictors pointed straight out from the sides of the of the statue. It's cool. It, it's, it's elaborate. Yeah. It's more elaborate than the Baphomet statue, but it's, it's definitely, it's visually interesting. Yeah. They've made their way across to the other side of the temple room. Uh, they've disarmed the alarm around the statue. It's safe to go down on. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Hey, Ted, what do you think about that line? Zach just said, I don't know, Bill. 
it's as bad as we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's as bad as our cartoon was. Yeah. But not as racist. No, Ed. No, Ted. It's not. <laughs> go listen to right, Go listen to our TV Obscure episode where Zach brings Bill and Ted's excellent adventure to the table and then Diallo and I immediately tear it apart for being the most racist cartoon that we've ever seen in Dad, our entire lives. I'm still taking the shit out of my hair from being shit on. Um, <laughs> so cut the, yeah, so cut to JT looking down on the statue and Ed and Liz looking very happy and Rick looking nervous. And the statue's and Socrates looking in pain because Socrates he's looks having like he's a about heart to die. <laughs> yep. Uh, the statue is sitting on top of a glowing kind of surface, very similar to the coffin earlier yeah. in the movie. Yeah. JT says, here I come, you magical son of a bitch. The entire crew are on beams right above the statue. Yeah. Cut back to Jonas and his cult. The woman who has a burned X on her forehead, evil Ed, is mumbling and shaking. And she says, heal my suffering. (laughs) Take me back to the fold. Jonas leans into her and says, let the powers of the crowns come in. He places his hand on her forehead and yells out, heal, heal. Suddenly, all the followers start chanting, heal, heal, heal. (laughs) The woman's. Yelling. Scream the scream the disease away. <laughs> scream it away. It does it <clears throat> totally works, right? Yeah, I think so. Finally, the woman screams out ah! like she's giving birth. Jonas looks at her and smiles, and she sits. She sits up, walks up to Jonas, gets on her knees, bows and prays to him, and says, "My pain is gone. You are the divine power, Jonas. Jonas." Everyone starts chanting, "Jonas, Jonas." And I think we 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 kind of called it early, but this is when she looks up at him and winks, and then he winks at her. So, and you're like, ah, okay, so up until this moment, you didn't really know. It, it, it was here. It's when he's looking down on her. Yeah, because yeah. he, he smiled. She smiles at him earlier, and he smiles back at her, but in, like, a loving way, not yeah. in, like, a but, wink, wink, we're pulling something. But this, this is, is when, the wink. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then Jonas looks around like a kid who just got away with stealing cookies from a cookie jar. And the woman's scratching the sore on her hand, which is not a sore. It's just makeup. Cut back to JT uh, with Socrates. And Rick says, when this thing's all over, I'm going to take you guys out and buy you a drink. (laughs) JT says, why don't you just save me one from that flask you're hidden on? Rick gives him a thumbs up. Socrates holds out JT's rope as JT makes his way down to the statue. Socrates is holding the rope out. So, J- so JT has to go to the center of uh, the room, like right below the statue, and then drop down on top of it, right? Mm-hmm. And as, as Socrates is holding the rope, he looks like he's going to have a heart attack. And JT says, everybody ready? Everyone nods. And Ed's, and, and JT looks at Ed and goes, all right, Ed, knock him out. And that's when Ed uses the remote electronic device, but something's not working. He's looking at the box that he wired earlier, and he says, the remote control unit, it's not working. JT says, what do you mean, man? What do you mean it's not working? Ed says, it's not working. I mean, it's not working. I can't knock out the lasers. I can't knock out the alarm. Liz says, what do we do? Rick says, well, JT, what do you say? JT says, we go for it. You two hit the window. Let me down slowly. Socrates struggles to let jt down slowly towards the statue so basically there's still lasers 
in the room around him. He's got to go directly down onto the statue to get the crowns to save the day. Yeah. They lower JT directly right in front of the statue, almost touching the ground, but not quite. Rick is also kind of helping him uh, hold the rope as well. Socrates suddenly starts to struggle and falls. He's still got a rope connected to him. He falls off the beam to the ground, almost lands on the ground. Liz gasps and rushes over to his rope and struggles to pull him up. And she's like yelling. She's like, ah. She's, like, ah, you know, she's panicking. Her, and Socrates her dad yell- up. I mean, I think it's, I still think it's his, her dad, essentially. Yeah. That, that, it's so weird you say that because I wrote that in this moment. I'm like, I think this is her dad. Yeah. As she's struggling to pull Socrates up, he goes, Socrates says, I'm okay. I'm okay. Just go to the window. JT says, Liz, do what he says. And she goes, no. JC says, go on. And, J- and JT says, Ed, get the blowtorch and help her go to the window. Socrates appears to be dying and then dead. And Lizzie yells, no. And this is when his hat falls off. This is when his hat falls off and hits the ground and the alarm doesn't go off. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, man. You made such a fucking big ordeal about the feather hitting the ground. Like, come on. Like, why'd you even give him a hat in the first place? You know, this is going to happen. I know. It's so weak. And it's like so weak. And it's like they did such a good job with them climbing over and having so much detail put into that that this is just kind of like, ah, come on, go-go boys. Like, it's it's so canon. It's so fucking canon, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. So, so, so you have to picture now that JT is on the statue, right, getting ready to remove the the, the – Use the key on the crowns. The rest of the group has gone from the beam they were originally on over to a beam that's right by the window that they talked about earlier when they were planning this whole thing out. Yeah, that's that's their exit right there. Yeah. Socrates is now hanging from his rope dead. Uh, and he's, it's cool because he's like like a f- maybe an two inches off the ground. Like he's almost there, but he's not touching it. His hat yeah. is, but, you know, he isn't. His hat's not there. It's really not there. Just let it go. It's not there. <laughs> so uh, he takes the JT takes his key from his pocket. As he touches the key to one of the crowns, white beams in the room that are at the perimeter. So there, I forgot to mention that there's like these white lights around the perimeter of the room. They yeah. suddenly go red. Yeah. The lights start blinking. And from the bottom of the ground of the statue, spikes shoot out. From the ground. Like around the perimeter of the statue. And they yes. shoot upwards. They're like metal spears slash spikes. But they, they don't like, you know, they're, they're not attached to anything. They shoot upwards to shoot into the ceiling. From the ground, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when they shoot out, one of them goes straight into Rick, killing yeah. him instantly. So now he's dead. Socrates is dead. Socrates is dead. And that's the thing, like, in earlier, I, you know, we didn't really call it out, but, like, Rick had a flask with him, and he was, like, tr- slipping on it and everything. And I'm yeah. just like, why was such a big thing made for, like, be just, just be sober for three weeks, you know, for this heist, and I will you know, uh, you'll you'll be rich, you know what I mean? Like, that's the whole thing. And you would think that, like, or I guess, like, modern movie conventions would be that Rick would have stayed sober. And then the, right before he died, he would have been like, you know what? 
I like being sober. Maybe I'll turn my life around. Maybe I'll, you know, uh, turn a, uh, you know, turn a page in my life. And then yeah. he dies. That that's kind of like how the modern film sensibility would be. But here he's like, I'm a drunk. I'm always going to be drunk until the day I die. You know. And now you're dead. And now you're dead. <laughs> And it's only going to get worse for these guys for just a few minutes here because right after that happens, JT goes back to put the key into the crown. And when he does, white smoke sprays out directly into his face. Or is it hot steam? JT screams. My eyes! You quickly cut back to Jonas, hearing the alarms going off everywhere in the compound. And Jonas yells, the crowns! And it's interesting because, like, that whole pomp and circumstance of him up there doing that ceremony ultimately doesn't lead to anything. And I almost kind of wish, I mean, as much as I enjoyed Brother Jonas, like what he was doing, I almost kind of wish they took that time and, and put it into something else, like more character building or something. I agree. I agree. Cut back to JT, who falls to the base of the statue now. That's glowing. Yeah. And... JT yells out, my eyes, my eyes. Ed swings down from his beam to check on JT. Ed's like, you know, trying to help him. JT struggles and says to Ed, get the crowns, go get the crowns. Ed climbs up to the statues and puts the key in the crowns. Suddenly the red lights around the perimeter go white again. Once Ed places the key inside one of the crowns, the boa constrictor snakes that are the, a part of the statues suddenly curve and turn and wrap Ed, crushing him. Yeah, they're you metal, cr- by the way. So keep in mind, they're supposed to be metal. Supposed to be metal, yeah. You hear a crunching sound, and Ed is dying, and then a snake comes out of the statue, a live snake, and bites him on the neck. It comes out of the mouth of one of the goat heads. Yeah. It, it, it bites him on the neck, and Ed falls to the ground dead. Liz and JT look on in horror. So one thing that's kind of hard to see, but Ed actually gets stabbed by oh, a, a, weird like a sword that comes out of it. But yeah. it's it's not sort of filmed well, but like <laughs> he kind of falls to the ground. You see there's a hole in his back and there's this like bloody sword that kind of goes back in. It's like overkill. He got, He gets grabbed, then stabbed, then bit in the face, but you really can't see the stab thing. It's its hard to miss, but it's, I mean, it's overkill. He gets crushed, stabbed, and poisoned. Yeah, because after he falls down, that's when you see the sta- the, the spike sword right. thing. And then yeah. it kind of goes back in. It's its just, it's not, it wasn't filmed that well. Like, yeah. nowadays they would have had an insert shot of the blade coming out and hitting him, but they didn't have time for those, like, pickup shots and everything. You know? Yeah. At this point now, Jonas and his cult are rushing toward the entrance of the room. Cut back to JT climbing up to the statue. Puts his hands on the statue. Uh, th- so the statue is in like a the hands of the statue are in a prayer position. And a knife uh, shoots out of the hands, almost striking JT in the head. JT misses it by mere inches. This is another moment where you're like, holy mm-hmm. shit, I must hit him. Yeah, where you're like, even if that was a fake sword, and it is, I mean, I'm sure it is, even if it's plastic. If yes. he didn't time that right, if Tony Anthony didn't time that right, he was taking that fucking to the face, you know? Right. And meanwhile, his so he he you thought he got burned in the face. He's okay now. He looks yeah. totally normal yeah, now he's for fine. now. Um Liz is watching from the 
from above in horror. J JT gets to one of the crowns. He uses the key to open it, the top of it. Out pops an orange glowing orb. JT takes the key out, puts it in the other crown, opens the other crown to reveal a green glowing orb. JT places his hands on top of both orbs at the same time, and the door to the room opens. In comes Jonas and his cult, armed with pig-faced guards. Suddenly, flames surround the throne of the two crowns. JT starts grunting, and suddenly his head spins around <laughs> like more times than I've ever seen, uh, more times than Reagan did in yeah. uh, The Exorcist. Yeah, this is like 30 times. It's like... Yeah. Like he's... I'm like, oh, he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> he's not and dead. He's not dead. But then half his face melts for some reason. Well, he's still not up. dead. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. So so Liz starts freaking out. Jonas watches <laughs> in horror. Jonas is like, what the fuck is going on here? JT's head, yeah, finally stops spinning. And then it looks like he's okay. The flames from around the statue goes down. JT turns to look at everyone with his face, with with the globes in his hands and his face is like melted on one side. Yeah. And it's like oozing and everything too. Yeah. He, yeah. It's like pus is coming out of one of the uh, pockets of his face and he holds the glowing orbs up high, like up so everyone can see them. He's groaning like Frankenstein. He crosses his arms with his gloves in his hands and flames shoot out of the globes surrounding Jonas and his cult. He's he does some wild like hand gestures it's and he's amazing. like shooting flames out. It's it's wild, guys. This is a wild scene. I don't even know what to tell you. He's part <laughs> Frankenstein, part pyro, part hero, part villain. It's 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 insanity. Yeah, because now is he like, is he evil? Well, because we're supposed to believe that one of these orbs is good, one of them is bad. Oh, and that's and why what's half win of out. his face is fucked up. The other half is fine. But, like, I mean, at this point, he's just shooting fireballs and, and shit at all the, the guards and everything, you know? So He's, he's not got doing... flamethrowers coming out of him. He's got flames shooting out of my head. <laughs> so they were shooting out of his hands. It's... I mean, honestly, the stream of flames, the, the pyrotechnics of it is fucking impressive. It's insane. It's insane because at that point now, Jonas yells, kill him, kill him. And so the cult starts blasting their machine guns at JT. JT blows their hands off, the guys who are holding the guns. Uh, JT holds out his balls and flame to shoot out. Jonas is screaming out in horror. The cult members are all trying to escape. But they're trapped. JT starts shooting flying balls of fire and flame at the cult members. Jonas starts to, out of nowhere, Jonas starts having laser beams coming out of his face. And he starts slowly melting. He's being killed by the balls of flame. Yeah. And, the, it, and like, his, his face is, like, falling apart. He's decomposing. Yeah, it's, like, it's it's... Like, it comes off in pieces, and I couldn't tell. It's like, is that the lasers cutting into his face a la Resident Evil, like you were saying? That's how I took it, because, like, it's clearly a mannequin. You know, he's got his eyes closed. But I love how a chunk falls off of, like, where his eye is, and you see his eyeball underneath. It's yeah. it's actually a really good layered fake head. 
Like there's layers to it as it comes apart. It, it's it's quite impressive for you know a low budget fucking C plus movie. And it's super gory for a PG movie. Yeah, yeah. This is. I'm like this is. This, but then, then again, Raiders of the Lost Ark is PG, so yeah. this is rivaling. This is I think supposed to rival the final scene of Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. Yeah. But right. this goes on a little bit longer. But yeah, I think this is supposed to be <laughs> the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And yeah, it's yeah, I, I was getting shades. Just the way he looked at the end, I was getting shades of One Dark Night. You know, like just the way he's like his fake body. You know, sort of looked at the end. But oh, I, yeah. I was I was rather impressed with the the dissection of his face by the lasers, if that's what yeah. it was supposed to be. And maybe Resident Evil ripped this off. You know. I, I'm gonna say it did. I'm gonna say it did. I'm gonna say it's better than Resident Evil. Just, just gonna say that. Settle down there, Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> so the the cult members are trying to flee while this is going on because Jonas is now dead. Yeah. Um. The some of the cult members make it out fine. One gets engulfed in flames. Yeah. <laughs> as he's like walking out the door. But I I love how there's like a handful of them just make it out the door and they just close the door because <laughs> yeah, they're they like cl- you know what I'm not gonna deal with this. Nope, just leave it. Let's get out of here. Let's yep. take the money and run. Uh, Liz is screaming out in terror the whole time she's watching this. She yells out at JT, don't hurt me, because JT looks at her menacingly. And, and he shoots actually, fire, like, at her, and he's, like, at looking her. at her. He's like, Argh! and he yeah, shoots he's, fire he's at cool her. he's cool-looking, too. He yeah. looks like a cool monster. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, he shoots flame in the base of the room, engulfing Jonas. Now, so now Jonas is on fire, and well, it's weird... It, it, and it's because, like, it's because she says, you know, don't hurt me. And he kind of looks at her like it was it was him sort of controlling the power and everything. You yeah. Because he didn't want to kill uh, Liz. No, because he's in love with her. And then out of nowhere, this weird spiky ball rolling thing, uh, tube thing comes out of nowhere. Kind of like the spiky rolling thing in the beginning. Yeah. But this one's shooting flames and fireworks out of it. Jonas's body is engulfed in flames and just falls apart. You see his bones from his body hit the ground and they're charred to a crisp. Liz continues to look on in terror while JT holds the glowing orbs, screaming, his arms shaking. Half his face is still melted. Pus is flowing out. He screams out in pain, falling down to the base of the statue where you see a quick shot, a quick shot of Socrates hanging upside down dead. Liz climbs down to her dad. His eyes are still open. She closes his eyes. She hugs him upside down cries cuts back to jt who's slowly rising breathing heavy he starts to sit up and it's revealed that his face is back to normal and i like that shot of liz climbing down to close uh socrates eyes because like she has to do she does one at a time and the actor you know he closes one at a time and he's also upside down you know, you got to figure for X amount of time, you know, they, you know, lights, camera, action, you know, like he's upside down the actor for a bit. It's a, it's a cool little scene. I, the fact that they didn't, they didn't forget that Socrates was upside down, you know, like yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. And, and didn't forget the fact that it's her dad or it's her dad or father figure or whatever. And she loves him. And it, like, that was, they had to have a send off that they, yeah. they yeah. closed that chapter. Right. Yeah. There's um, a lot of heart to that right there. Yeah, totally. So she's freaked out still because she thinks that JT is still a monster. But she Liz acrobatically climbs down to the base of the room and hooks herself off of her carabiner and rope. She goes to a corner of the room and starts crying. 
JT collects himself and walks over to her. Liz has her eyes closed. She opens them with JT, who's back to normal. He opens his jacket, puts the two orbs in his jacket, and hugs Liz. Suddenly, you hear a device beeping, like a walkie-talkie, and it's the professor calling in, calmly, and says, well, calling in, and says, Come in, Mr. Stryker, come in! I am one minute from pickup position. Repeating, one minute from pickup. Are you ready? Come in, Mr. Stryker, come in! JT looks up at the entrance of the ceiling where the window is, holds the walkie to his mouth and says, We're ready. Cut cut to the exterior of the compound with a helicopter flying high above. JT's got his grappling gun pointed at the sky, points it directly at the camera, 3D. Shoots a hole through the stained glass window in the ceiling. Professor continues to call JT on the on the walkie and says, Mr. Stryker, did you get the crowns? Mr. Stryker, can you hear me? Come in, Mr. Stryker. Mr. Stryker, did you get the crowns? <laughs> the camera pans to JT pulling out one of the pulling out the orange orb and saying, Yeah, old man. But he doesn't answer. The professor. The professor the professor keeps calling out, but he won't respond to him. He looks at Liz. Liz looks concerned. Liz looks concerned. JT throws the orange orb into the charred remains of Jonas. The professor continues to talk to JT through the walkie-talkie. I think he yeah, I think he threw both orbs back into the uh charred remains of Jonas. And the professor is continuing on the walkie. The crowns, did you get them? They're pa- their magic, their power, their potential. And then you start realizing maybe the professor also wanted them for evil deeds. Yeah, no, I, I like this. I like JT being like, oh, no, you want this too much. No. Right. Because he's like, to benefit mankind is enormous. No. Disease, plague, and all the evils of the world can be relegated to the pages of history. No. The path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. He goes, they're, they're our greatest resource. They can determine the future of the universe, Mr. Stryker. Mr. Stryker, can you hear me, Mr. Stryker? Suddenly, JT walks away from the camera, cut to the remains of Jonas's burned body. Back to the exterior of the compound, you see the helicopter rising in the sky, holding what appears to be Liz and JT. Yeah. It's like holding something. Yeah. It's like a box, basically. Yeah, they're not in but the helicopter. Them. They're dangling from the bottom. They're dangling. Because <laughs> they're adventurers, you know, the soldiers of fortune. Cut back to Jonas's charred remains. Camera closes in. Then you hear a weird electronic whirring sound. Suddenly the scene fades into some steaming moat of water. Something starts to rise from the water. And I was like, Swamp Thing? Is this, is this Swamp Thing? Yeah. Uh, it, it looks like the uh, something from Dagobah. <laughs> and, no, actually, what does it look like? Uh, it looks like the monster in, in Flash Gordon that was in the – when Flash Gordon goes to the um, uh, Prince Baron's lair, and he has to stick his hand in that, that wooden uh, – that, like the test – sticking your hand in the wood oh that oh we're talking about a movie Corey is not very familiar with <laughs> i the last time i watched it was on new year's with you at your house and i talked i was so drunk and high and i talked during the whole thing and dan was not too happy with that because i think so he pissed. actually was he's so pissed but i didn't care it's fucking we were partying we we're fucking partying man 
hindsight, I totally appreciate that you're talking the whole time. But hey, uh, I did back. buy. I did buy because I'm. I've always been pretty vocal about the fact that I don't love that movie. But the fact that Zach and Diallo and everybody I know loves that film, I did pick up the Arrow Blu-ray um, on sale because I was like, okay, and I, I haven't watched it yet, but I do want to give it. I do want to give Flash Gordon an earnest viewing in, in my adult life because I base everything on my feelings of when I saw it when I was like 12, you know what I mean? And just wasn't into it. So I do want to give it an actual earnest viewing one of these days. You should as and, in Ernest goes to jail as in um, Ernest goes to Ming's palace, Ming's palace. And anyways, uh, there's a weird monster in Prince Baron's lair that flash Swamp, um, whatever the fuck that is, and because yeah, the 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 I the 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 form, <laughs> the organic mass that comes well, out of the ground, out of the water, and then all of a sudden, like this tentacle creature shoots out, and of course, it's in three D. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, uh, Robert Ortiz knows what I'm talking about, with, by the way, because Robert loves Flash Gordon. But um, oh, well, yeah, yeah. You hear Robert thunder thing. crashing. You see fireworks. This mossy looking tentacle creature rises. And, and out pops from the tentacle thing a weird skinned looking creature. It looks like it had its skin ripped off it, growling, coming right at the camera. And the scene cuts and the credits roll. And that is the end of the treasure of the four condor crowns. <laughs> the four condor condoms. Oh, dude. Obviously, just straight up tacked on at the end, you know, because, you know, they were just like, oh, let's, this is, this would be so exciting. This would leave the doors open for something new. And it's just like, has, has nothing to do nothing. with anything in the movie. Nothing. It should just end it so, with them flying away, and that's it. So, you know, the worst Marvel movie with the worst stinger at the end for another movie is 20,000 times better than this right here. Like, but you have to, you have to admit that we <laughs> only got terrible. We only got to here because of movies like this helped get us to where we are now. Do you know what I mean? Because like back in the day, they just threw this, they tacked this on at the end, but now we've perfected that. But like at the time, this was like, not as you know well known or not as you know done whatever this movie is fucking it's a c movie guys and gals it's a c movie but it's fun it has charm yeah and if you watch it under the right circumstances i think you're gonna have a good time with it and don't think too hard don't like put too much thought into it. Don't 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 think too hard. Just close your eyes. Just, 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 it'll feel just, good if you close just, your eyes. Let it go. Just let it just like wash over you, and you'll have a good time with it. This is a this is a fun movie, man. Like it really is, and I can see why you know six or seven year old you was like, oh, this is this is pretty fucking wild. I would have felt the exact same way, you know. Yeah. But I'm watching this for the first time as a 45 year old man. And man child, and I'm just man like, child. it's like this movie's fucking. This is this is terrible, but it's not. It's fun. It's a good time, and honestly, I'm impressed with the Kino Blu-ray. The fact that they made it, you know, 3D, both, uh, uh, you know, the red and blue, whatever that's called, anamorphic 3D or whatever, versus, you know, the new 3D. Like the fact that they put both encodings on there and sent 
like have like an actual you know treasure of the four crowns like like 3d blue and red glasses in here i will cherish this blu-ray i will fucking cherish it and i will show it to people and i'll be like you have to watch this in fucking 3d like yeah. this is this is a fun movie to show to your friends. This is a fun movie to sit here and watch. Do riff tracks. Do your own riff tracks on it. it. It's it it's that kind of movie, but it's also the kind of movie where if you actually watch it and you actually pay attention, there's some real fucking good shit in it buried, but there is some good shit in it like that human that human moment between socrates and and popo was so fucking good so much better than it had any right to be in this movie you know what i mean it's it's you you watch it for those kind of moments you know seriously seriously yeah yeah no and and just so everyone knows there are three versions on this disc there's the 3d version uh, with the glasses, the 3D for 3D TVs, and then the regular version, that, so you don't have to worry about having to wear the glasses if you don't want to. And yeah, this movie is bonkers. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. It's silly as hell, but it's fun. So uh, and and you know, maybe it's going to be better than the uh, upcoming Indiana Jones movie. Who knows? Or maybe not. Um, probably not. But whatever. It's it's nostalgic for me and way wild and silly and you know i always bring something totally offbeat off kilter to the show wait till you find out what i'm gonna bring next month um but you know it, it's a it's a it's a fun time like Corey said it's a fun time watch this film with some friends i know lee germany just watched it yeah he did he messaged me on instagram <laughs> yeah because i told him about it i said this is what we're going to be watching you might want to prep yourself for this bad boy I, I but think he, did you send him a free? Is it free on YouTube or something? It's free on YouTube. Yeah, there, there, are, there's a free version on YouTube that's obviously not in 3D. You can yeah. watch that, and uh, yeah, uh, I highly recommend you at least watch for that third act because that third act is bunker balls in the best way, in the best way. Yeah, honestly, man, what I was most impressed by with this movie was the 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 heist at the end, the third act heist, and the fact that they went. Th- to great pains to show us every step of the way that it just, it, it made me realize that like, you know, mission impossible is it's a fun movie and all, but like, like you could have sh- like, there's also enjoyment in the minutia yeah. of the heist. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't have to just bombastically edit down that this scene to like five minutes. Like, having the 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 heist scene this climb scene be like 15 minutes long and showing every single step along the way i was mesmerized man like watching her like you know tightening the bolts like they showed both sides like here's the thing here's the example when she's tightening the bolts on that overhead thing she they show us both sides like she tightens both sides like they let no moment pass because yeah. this heist part of it is it's truly special man it's truly special because it's these actors for the most part doing all of these stunts themselves yeah it's 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 wild um you know if you like films like uh sneakers uh hot rocks i think it's called grand slam is another heist film too like these are old school 70s 80s and 90s 
uh, heist films. This is this has not this is definitely not in that category. Other than that scene of like the minutia, the the intricacies that they put together for this final sequence, it's really something to be admired for. So, uh, you know, like Corey said, there are gems in this giant manure pile, but uh, <laughs> it's it's worth climbing through and you know getting stinky along the way. In my yeah. opinion. So it, it, it is. It is. I'm glad you brought it, dude. I'm I am glad you brought this one. And it, it's it's special to you and that's awesome. Um I, I appreciate that. Um does it like does it hold up to your memory and everything? Oh does yeah, it... totally. Yeah. I, like to to this day, that that final third act still holds a very special place in my heart. And I actually appreciate it more now than I did when I was a kid. Yeah. The effort that they fucking put into it. For sure. Um Speaking of A plus effort, what's uh what's going on with uh, two dollar lay fee these days? Well, you will be pleasantly surprised by by the time this episode drops, we just dropped, uh, we just launched our weekly episodes. Now we're going weekly at two dollar lay fee. We're dropping an episode once a week. So we start out with a proper episode. Case in point, Cobra. Follow that up with an interview with an actor, Brian Thompson from Cobra. I listened to the Cobra episode. It was very good. I I have the same feelings that Dustin has. I'm more on Dustin's side on that, that movie. I, I'm sure you are. But then um, following that, we typically would go every two weeks. And then now we and then we would throw in territory marks along the way. But now what we do after the interview is we are dropping the two dollars six questions segment. Uh, it gets Posted first on Patreon, exclusive to Patreon. That's still an exclusive thing. There are only patrons from the $2 late fee uh, page can ask the questions for the guests. And the $2 six question segment will drop the third week of the month. And this one just dropped. It's Brian Thompson's $2 six questions. And I will tell you right now, it was his favorite part of the interview. Thanks in part to you, Corey. And he gives you a particularly special shout out. I can't uh, David wait. Irons, he gives a very special shout out to as well. And just you'll have to listen to it. David Allman is another one on our show. Uh, Aaron Gilmer. So you, those are patrons of our show. You have to check it out. If you want to ask the questions to the celebrities, you got to be a patron to do that. And it's a really unique, special part of it. Uh, Corey knows who our guest will be for the month of July, and that will be revealed very soon too. But uh, so after $2, six questions, we have territory marks and that's dropping uh, the week after. So yeah. we go every single week now, just like podcasting after dark. Yeah. It's wild. It's wacky. It's fun content. I I've, I'm all caught up on territory marks as well. So great. Wait till you hear this one. This I, one's crazy. I'm excited. And I'm not even a wrestling fan. You guys know that. Um, no, nah, you There's guys actually are doing... a very eight, uh, eight year old Zach may pop up in that episode. Right. <laughs> you guys are doing great content over there. And as a Patreon member of your all's uh, Patreon. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth it. Um, we know that we have a lot of people, uh, uh, almost everyone who is signed up to pads. Patreon is also signed up to $2 lay fee. It's and, true. And yeah. Sort of vice versa. So, I mean, 
guys and gals, you all are the stars of both of these shows. So thank you all so much. Um, as you all know, we have uh, the Carpenter Factor going on over here on the podcast After Dark Patreon. Uh, yep. We just dropped our Village of the Damned episode. That was a Whew. lot of fun. Zach and I are already recorded our Escape from L.A. episode. That episode will drop next month. Um, they usually they don't have a set date. They usually drop like maybe about mid mid month. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we got, uh, we got vampires next, then ghost of Mars and we'll, you know, be making our way towards our next auteur, whomever that may be. But, um, you know, we have, we have Carpenter Factor and we also have wrap up after dark. Um, every month we talk about what's coming next. You know, that's a way to sort of get an early insight as to what movies we're going to be reviewing next and everything. We're actually going to have David Irons coming on, uh, this episode, uh, this month's that's episode right. to talk about his new book, uh, cock blocker and everything. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So check out our Patreon, check out to our Lafey's Patreon. Um, but of course, you know, life, capitalism, money, yada, yada, yada. We get it. A free way to help out Podcast After Dark, a free way to help out $2 late fee, leave us a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever allows you to leave a five-star review or just simply tell your friends. Like, you know, be like, hey, I know you like Cobra. Go check out this $2 late fee episode. Or I know you like Captain Power. Go check out this uh, TV Obscura episode. You know, just showing your friends. Like, just tell your friends. That kind of goes a long way to, to really helping us out. But so do those five-star reviews. Trust me. They know. sure do. They sure <laughs> do. And thank you for all the uh, constant, you know, comments and, and positivity that you guys spread. It, it's It all feels good, and it keeps us doing what we're doing and we love what we're doing so um you know particular shout out to the patrons who support but everybody who listens thank you guys for listening it's very much appreciated and as always we'll catch you on the dark side and uh because this is 3d you can feel us catching you it's amazing the technology is crazy Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.